Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I am Steve Norman. I'm joined by James Diamond. Hello. Jerry McCauley. Hello. And Owen Hughes. Hello. Uh, this week we have got a triple bill of the films to look out for this summer as judged by us, um, with a few exceptions. We'll explain that later. But before that, we have got movie news. We have got what we have been watching and the quiz. Um, but James is going to kick us off with this week's movie news. Yeah, um, sad news. Uh, basically, uh, since we last recorded, one of the absolute titans of film criticism, uh, Roger Ebert, uh, has died. Um, he'd suffered for a long time, I think over a decade, with cancer of the thyroid and uh, salivary glands, uh, surgical complications in 2006 meant that he had to retire from public appearances and and the like. But um, he carried on writing up until his death earlier this week. He was probably one of the most respected film critics ever. Uh, he popularised television film reviewing um, and... He's just he's a he's a critic who I may have disagreed with him often about a number of films, but I always still wanted to go back and read his reviews. Um, and it's a real sad loss to to the world of of film film criticism. Uh, I don't know if anyone else just wants to say anything. Yeah, I mean he's the first uh, film critic to win the Pulitzer Prize, so you know that's significant mm-hmm. in itself. He was significant enough to get Barack Obama to you know make a statement on his death. Mm-hmm. Um, he also, uh, I hadn't realised that he was the person who persuaded Oprah to syndicate her show. Oh, right. He used to go out with Oprah, briefly. Oh, okay. Um, but, you know, that that turned out all right. Yeah, <laughs> good bit of advice. <sighs> Seemed like he had his head screwed on, but... Uh, Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I am Steve Norman. I'm joined by James Diamond. Hello. Jerry McCauley. Hello. And Owen Hughes. Hello. Uh, This week we have got a triple bill of the films to look out for this summer as judged by us, um, with a few exceptions. We'll explain that later. Before that we have got movie news, we have got what we have been watching and the quiz. Um, but James is going to kick us off with this week's movie news. 
Yeah, um, sad news, uh, basically. Uh, since we last recorded, one of the absolute titans of film criticism, uh, Roger Ebert, uh, has died. Um, he'd suffered for a long time, I think over a decade, with cancer of the thyroid and uh, salivary glands. Uh, surgical complications in 2006 meant that he had to retire from public appearances and and the like. But um, he carried on writing up until his death earlier this week. He was probably one of the most respected film critics ever. Uh, he popularised television film reviewing, um, and he's just—he's uh, a—he's a critic who I may have disagreed with him often about a number of films, but I always still wanted to go back and read his reviews. Um, and it's a real sad loss to to the world of of film film criticism. Uh, I don't know if anyone else just wants to say anything. Yeah, I mean, he's the first uh, film critic to win the Pulitzer. So, you know, that's significant mm-hmm. in itself. He was significant enough to get Barack Obama to, you know, make a statement on his death. I think mm-hmm. tells you enough. Um, he also, uh, I hadn't realised that he was the person who persuaded Oprah to syndicate her show. Oh, right. He used to go out with Oprah, briefly. Okay. Um, but, you know, that, that turned out all right. Yeah, good <laughs> bit of advice. <sighs> Seemed like he had his head screwed on. But, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I disagree with him on a lot of things, but uh, particularly his... He had a very um, strong stance against video games and how they couldn't be art. Yeah. I think, you know, that's one of the main things that I disagree with him on. But he, he was brilliant. He was absolutely fantastic and very influential. Very, very influential. Yeah. Not just on, like, other film critics either, but I think as well, everyone who who has an interest in writing. Because uh, mm. it was just his, his style of writing was so... Um, it was well. It's just brilliant, isn't it? I mean, um, some some of the, the turns of phrase that he uses are, yeah. are just genius. Yeah, um, that, there's a book that I've got of his called Your Movie Sucks, which is a. I think I've got the first collection of that. It's an anthology of his one star reviews. Do you know um, where the Your Movie Sucks comes from? By the way, you, oh no, I don't actually. He, um, I can't remember who the critic was, but um, Rob Schneider when Deuce Bigelow came out. <laughs> Uh, that's in the book actually <laughs> that must be where it, yeah that was, it was, was yeah. the sequel to Deuce Bigelow or something like that. yeah European Gigolo um, and he, he he got a bad review and Rob Schneider came out and said well he's, he's never won the Pulitzer Prize so he, he can't uh, criticise my movie and Ebert came in and said I'm qualified because I've won the Pulitzer and your movie sucks <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, 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 uh, on that note yeah rest in peace Roger um and thanks for all the reviews. Okay, let's move on to the quiz then. And did Owen win one last week? Yeah. I won one, yes. Embarrassingly. In, in, our, in our new style quiz, Owen is now one up. Yeah. I cannot, I cannot quite believe it. <laughs> Will he go two up this week? Dictist. <laughs> not going in with, yeah, not going in with a lot of confidence. Okay. Whose filmography is this? Miller's Crossing, Barton Fink, Reservoir Dogs. James. Yes, James. Oh, no, I've gone sodded this right. I'm going to say Steve Buscemi, but... You're, you're right. Am I? Yes! I thought he was in one of those Coen Brothers films, but I didn't know yeah. he was in both. Oh, nailed it. Jerry, you big loser. I know. <laughs> 
It's all going Jeremy, wrong for me. This new format. You suck. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. There's nothing Pleasure. wrong with being last, you know. But there's always a chance that you can get a point eventually, Jerry. Don't someone someone's got to be there, haven't they? <laughs> yeah. Jerry, there can't be a winner if there's not a loser. Yeah. Exactly, right. Steve. Although I know that you haven't you haven't won one either, so you know, we've, we've managed to guess them. So I don't feel quite as bad, Steve. We'll have some solidarity for being losers. <laughs> there you I'm go. Clinging, I'm clinging to whatever I can. Mm. <laughs> um, well, I think we've got a, a fantastic what we've been watching this week. Who wants to go first? <laughs> Tumbleweed. The enthusiasm, eh? I'll, I'll start, shall I? I've watched oh, the new film on, this week. I went to the cinema and saw Dark Skies. I went uh, to quite a late... Well, it wasn't, wasn't quite a late screen. It was a nine o'clock screening, so it was quite dark. And I ended, Late for us. It's late for, for us, yeah. I'd hate to sort of break it to you, but it's always dark in the cinema. Very <laughs> <No> good, Steve. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, Dark Skies. So it's um, a horror film... It's advertised all over the place with from the producers of Paranormal Activity, Insidious, and Sinister. So oh, it sort of sets the scene. You know what you're gonna you're gonna get from this kind of film. Uh, on, the director actually, um, Scott Charles Stewart. I don't think he's really done a horror film before. I know he's done Legion, um, which is a oh base. god that was terrible. That was a pretty bad film. He's also done Priest, which I've not seen, but I haven't noticed he's on Love Film Instant at the moment, so I will watch that. But yeah, I've heard terrible things. About I've heard, I haven't heard great things about it either, actually. <laughs> but uh, that's the director, and that, those are the producers. So I think I did go in. I, I mean, I do like Paranormal Activity mm. um, as a series. I, Insidious, I quite enjoyed. Sinister, you know, we talked about it before. There were certain issues with it, but I still kind of enjoyed it. So I went into it not expecting to be blown away. I wasn't expecting to get The Exorcist, for example. Um, but it was, yeah, it was all right. It was quite good. Um, I guess to the, the scare tactics that they use in it, they're, they're all, uh, you've seen them before, basically. If you watched Insidious, if you watched Sinister, if you've seen any of the Paranormal Activity films, mm. it's it's exactly that, that kind of thing. You've got stuff that's hiding in the shadows, you know, something that's there one minute, gone the next, you know, there's a whole, it's behind you pantomime sort of feel to the whole thing. Not that I mind too much, and I've said it before, that um, as long as it's not overdone in a film, if they use it quite well, it's fine, you know. It, it did make me jump on a few times. It did kind of raise the, the, the tension, sort of prolong the suspense, if you like, and um, so they, they did make it work quite well. It's not actually about ghosts, this film, so it's uh, about aliens. Um, so it's a little bit of a weird mix of something like uh, like Insidious, and then it's got kind of like shades of signs about it. Uh, you know, the M Night Shyamalan film. Mm, yeah. So yeah. it's kind of yeah. It's, it's some of it is quite creepy. You know, there's the bit in Signs where uh, the alien walks past the video of the party. You've got the the little. Handheld camera. I've not seen signs. Oh, All I know just, about signs is just spoiled the beginning. The only scary part of science fiction. <laughs> Did that spoil it? I thought. Okay, sorry. I, I know exactly what happened because I've seen the. I've seen Jeff who lives at home, and at the beginning of that, Jeff is talking about signs. Well, the, you know, yeah, that's how he starts. So I know roughly what happens. Basically, uh, the first alien scene. I guess you know it's aliens, but it's that first alien scene in signs. Okay. It's like that, but for ninety minutes. 
So it doesn't really... <laughs> the, the plot doesn't build up to anything particularly spectacular. It doesn't, doesn't start very low either. It just kind of hits a plateau quite early on and just continues at that pace. So it's an all right film, really. The performances, I guess, are the best thing in it. In particular... Uh, J.K. Simmons is just fantastic. He's not in it that that much. Um, he plays this knowledgeable uh, UFO guy, so he knows about all these the alien experiences that people are having all around the world, and um, he's just brilliant. He doesn't play it like a nutter, so you kind of the first impression of him. Um, he's sort of on he's on screen. He's wearing like a hat indoors and sunglasses, and he looks a bit shifty. And you go into his flat, and he's got all like newspaper clips on the wall and you think okay he's just going to be a weird guy um, mm. but the way that he plays it he just makes everyone else in the film look bad because he's just such a brilliant actor it's, it's hard mm. to describe I quite liked um, the, the young kid in it as well Dakota Goya he's um, been in a couple of films that I've seen recently he was in uh, Real Steel he was Hugh Jackman's Son in Real Steel, and he was pretty good at that. I, I, I quite like Real Steel. It knows exactly what sort of film it is, and you mm. know the performances are decent. And 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 he's good in that, and he's good in this as well. He plays the sort of older brother. Um, but yeah, the whole plot is basically centered around these weird happenings that occur that this family are experiencing. So like in the trailer, you see loads of birds all hitting the house. There's a woman in the house, and all yeah, yeah. You know, it, it does a lot of that kind of thing. There's lots of just, you know, things happening in the kitchen. Like, say, if you've watched Paranormal Activity, you've seen it in every fucking Paranormal Activity film and every film that's spoofing Paranormal Activity. They all do the same thing. This doesn't really do it with any degree of irony. Um, it tries to play it quite mm. sincerely. But, like I say, if it's done well, it's okay, and it is done quite well. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's a... It's a good, decent horror film in the vein of those other films I keep mentioning. Um, so if you like those, you probably enjoy Dark Skies. I think any film that makes you run up the stairs just a little bit quicker when you're home and the lights are off is a good sign. You know. Yeah. So that's kind of what sort of film it is, really. Uh, how many films have you watched this week, Owen? Uh, I haven't done a, a count. I'd probably estimate about... Oh, probably... Uh, about ten. That's six. Not very good. Six this weekend. Six this weekend, and then probably four during the week. That's that. It's just slacking. <laughs> yeah. He's um, sleeping. Yeah. That's what's happening, Steve. Any any other films you want to review this week, Owen? No, not re- not really review. I mean, I watched a couple that were quite good that I've not seen before. I watched um, A History of Violence, the the Cronenberg film. Which was really good. I, re- I mean, from the first few minutes of that film, I knew exactly that I was going to like it. Um, and it, it, you've seen it before, Owen? That was the first time I've seen it. It was. Re- I was really impressed with it. It did kind of tail off a little bit towards the end, I thought. Um, but otherwise, that was a good film. And I watched Serpico, the Al Pacino, uh, Sidney Lumet film, which I'd not seen before either, from 1973. So that's going to work its way into my decade in film article. Oh, is it? Oh, good, because yeah. I really like Serpico. Yeah, it was really good. Really enjoyed it. Okay. Who wants to hear a review of the biggest box office flop of all time? See? Go on, <laughs> with it. Well, first of all, I'll briefly review uh, the original Red Dawn, because there's a new version out in the cinema, isn't there? Or has been released recently yes. with... Um, you. That's the one. Thor. Yeah, Chris Hemsworth. Um, but no, I watched the original starring 
Patrick Swayze of all people. Um, it's a story about um, America gets invaded by a coalition of Russia and Cuba, I think, and Patrick Swayze is sort of like a supposed teenager um, or sort of late teens and ends up going into hiding with some friends to avoid being arrested and put into like a prison camp and ends up waging guerrilla warfare on the Russian Cuban people that are there and essentially it's, it's an entertaining film it's not great it's not bad it's worth watching I'm sure one of the rest of you must have seen it I've not actually no I've always thought it's just going to be a bit propagandist you know a bit like um, like a Rocky Four, just without any real charm <laughs> there's, no there's not there's not really any propaganda it's just sort of Russia and Cuba invade and take over the United States Patrick Swayze doesn't like it because I think his dad is in the prison camp. He might even kill his dad. I can't quite remember. So they just sort of try and take back their country. There's no real kind of. It's not really that political a film. It's just you yeah. know, an action film. More well, it's not quite an action film, but it's interesting yeah. though that the, the the remake has changed it to North Korea, hasn't it? It's North. Well, is it North Korea invade in the remake? Well, we're, uh, we're friends with Russia now, so. Yeah, it started off being China in the remake, and then the studio decided they didn't want to annoy a lucrative market. And then, apparently, at very kind of last minute, the decision was cha- made to change it to North Korea. Because um, I read apparently the the guy who plays the nor- in the new one, the guy who plays like the leader of the invading forces, spent ages researching how. Chinese troop commanders um, work and give commands and stuff like that, and then he went, "No, you're being North Korean now." Do any research on that? No, no exactly. <laughs> so yeah, no. Apparently, they, they it was meant to be China in the new one, and they bottled it basically. Uh, so instead, the soldiers were malnourished farmers with equipment from the 1960s instead. Yes, yeah. yes, that's correct. <laughs> I'd rather watch that, actually, thinking about it. That would be good, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so on to the biggest box office flop as all ta- of all time. As says so in the Guinness Book of World Records, so you can't argue with that. This is a film that uh, made Carolco pictures go bankrupt, uh, ruined Gina Davis's career pretty much ended her career and ended up putting a halt on any pirate movies being made until Pirates of the Caribbean. It's Cutthroat Island from 1905. <laughs> and virtually everything about this film justifies its title of worst film ever made. <laughs> it cost $98 million um, at the time, and I think it, that, that they hardly work it out is the worst ever. Is that they, you know, adjust the interest or inflation or whatever. Mm-hmm. It it grossed ten million. Ooh. It made a tenth of what it. Um, Ouch. Yeah. Um, wow. So it debuted at number thirteen in the U.S. box office. Ouch. Uh, yes, so basically no one made a pirate movie until Curse of the Black Pearl in 2003. Okay, but is how how bad is it then, it's Steve? It's very bad. 
I'll get I'll get the positive out of the way first. Like the actual sets and everything look really good. Like it's okay. believable. Considering it's in nineteen ninety five, so they haven't got sort of big special effects or anything. Mm. Price knows what they spent a hundred million on, because there's not that many big special effects in it. But you know, they've got believable looking pirate ships and they've got like a big treasure island kind of place and they've made Port Royal in Jamaica look like, you know, a seventeenth century pirate port kind of place. And it, look, mm-hmm. and it looks good, but the acting, the plot, and the script, and the dialogue is just abysmal. Um, and it just doesn't work at all. It's just terrible on every level. And the worst <laughs> thing is, is obviously I'm a bit too young to remember mm. Gina Davis at her peak, but it's genuinely ruined her career. She won an Oscar. <laughs> In 19- I like Gina Davis, yeah, but... She won an Oscar in 1988 uh, for Best Supporting Actress for The Accidental Tourist. She was, nom- okay. she was nominated for Best Actress for Thelma and Louise. Mm, yeah, for, she's for, great in that. For another Oscar. She's in Beetlejuice. Yeah, she's um, in The Fly. She's in The Fly, yeah. The Fly, yeah. And then no. it seems like she gets married to... Where is it? Rennie Harlan. That's the, the director. Yep. And he gets uh, a, he gets a to co-produce Cutthroat Island and The Long Kiss Goodnight. Now I don't know anything about The Long Kiss Goodnight, um, but she got nominated. Savagely underrated, in my opinion. She, she got nominated for a Saturn Award for Best Actress. But um, yes, Cutthroat Island. Her husband then he managed to convince the director to cast her as a leading lady. To try that, her husband was was the director. Anyway, there was somebody that must have been the studio <laughs> or the producer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, her husband convinced them to cast her as the leading lady in this film to try and make her sort of a bankable action movie star, and she's not. She's terrible. She can't. She can't pull off any of the fight. She's the main. She's not like Kira Knightley in the Pirates of the Caribbean film. She's like the second main character. She's the lead character in this film. It all revolves around her, Morgan Adams, the pirate she's playing, um, female pirate captain. It just doesn't work. She can't pull off the kind of dialogue that she needs to pull off in this film. She can't pull off a convincing action scene. And it's just... You know, she's just not very... There's one example of a scene where they're sort of escaping the authorities in Port Royal. And this is meant to be some kind of witty line, I suppose, or some kind of joke. And she basically barrels away through a load of shops, stores... And wrecks them all as she's running to try and catch up with Matthew Modine's character, who's, you know, helping her translate this map and find where this treasure is. And she ends up sort of falling next to her because I'll have to visit those shops again when I've got more time. And that's meant to be a joke. <laughs> and you just think, obviously, uh, in delivery. <laughs> and yeah, she's very monotone throughout the whole film as well. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, so, so basically since, I mean, she was making Cutthroat Island and The Long Kiss Goodnight about the same time. Uh, so once The Long Kiss Goodnight came out in 1996, she has made four films. Three of them were Stuart Little films. One was a film called Accidents Happen. Ouch. So it, it has literally ruined her career. And she had won an Oscar and was nominated for another one. Wow. Um, Matthew Modine is... <laughs> Yeah, Matthew Modine is also... He's done nothing. ...is also terrible. Um, he... <laughs> he's, I suppose he's meant to be playing a Jack 
Sparrow kind of character, kind of a, a cocky, you know, eccentric person. And he just can't pull that off at all. Apparently, Tom Cruise, Keanu Reeves, Liam Neeson, Jeff Bridges, Ralph Fiennes, uh, Charlie Sheen and Michael Keaton all turned down his role before he took it. <laughs> Ouch. So he was, he was like seventh choice. Uh, yeah, yeah, it doesn't really scream bankable star, does it, Matthew Modine? Yeah. E- even then, I mean, definitely not now, but even then, it didn't sound. Even that's what I mean. Yeah, no, that's that. That was poor planning. The, the best bit about the whole film, though, probably sounds like Oliver Reed was originally cast for a, cam- a cameo, um, but was fired after getting into a bar fight and for mooning at Gina Davis. Good lad. Everybody loves it. Yeah, I do love. Oh, proper old school drunken British actors who just basically drank for 12 hours a day, shot a couple of scenes and then drank even more afterwards. I miss them. I miss that kind of actor. So yeah, I suffered for two hours long it is as well and it was just terrible. Wow. <laughs> um, oh, you suffered for us, Stephen. We write, appreciate it. I'll be writing something for the website about it. But yeah, um, it, it's just basically messed up the careers of so many people who probably had some talent. Yeah. And Matthew Modine. I'm just, I'm just looking at Rennie Harlan's um, uh, filmography as a director. He's doing Hercules. I didn't realise it was him doing it. Which, you know, Hercules is going to star The Rock. The Rock. Yeah. And Rennie Harlan's directing it. Rennie Harlan's directing it. Yeah, Hercules. has got um, the guy who plays Lovejoy in it. Yeah, Ian McShane. Ian McShane, yeah. Uh, I think he plays Hercules. I think he plays Zeus or something. But um, so there's that to look forward to. He's he also doing the film. Die Hard too. It did Die Hard too, yeah. Yeah, that was before Cutthroat Island, though, wasn't it? That was yeah. yeah. You did Cliffhanger as well, so you did. Ouch. You are. Uh, you went from Cliffhanger to Cutthroat Island as well. Ooh. Yeah, Cliffhanger's not great though. Well, that's what happened. <laughs> it's got John Lithgow as an awesome villain. <laughs> it's like you make Cliffhanger, which was you know. It was a bit of a kick in for Stallone, wasn't it, Cliff? Yeah. And then he went, yeah. I know how I'll turn this round. Oh, <laughs> pirate I... film. Yeah. Oh, thanks, Steve. We appreciate you plumbing the depths. I think next, for us. I think next on the list is um, The Alamo, stars Dennis Quaid. Oh, God, that's that. Yeah, the really expensive Western that's got no one of note in it. How the hell did they make that? Yeah. yeah. Can't wait to hear that one. Because I love a good Western as well, but this, I don't think this is a good Western. <laughs> Doesn't sound like it. No. He <laughs> also made De- Deep Blue Sea, Rennie Harlan. So. Oh, dear. He, 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 he did a film, he's doing a film this year about the Dyatlov Pass incident, which is my favourite Wikipedia entry. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Owen knows what I'm talking about. I do, yeah. Which one is that then? What one isn't that? Go on, oh, enlighten us. It, it, it'll take it's too long. It would, okay. We'll send you a link afterwards. But it What's take... it called again? The Dilatov Pass incident. Okay. Okay. Right, Jerry, what films have you watched this week? Um, the film I want to talk about is Into the Wild, which um, is fairly high up on the IMDb list, I believe. Well, it's yep. 250. Uh, it was given four stars by Mr. Ebert. I checked, seeing as he, we were talking about his his reviews, etc., which is the, the highest, for those who haven't read his reviews, that's the highest accolade he gives. Um, written and directed by Sean Penn, well, adapted from a novel by Sean Penn, and stars Emile Hirsch, who I don't actually, bizarrely, he's not really done anything after this. 
he was in. He was in um, Killer Joe last year. Yeah, but he's he's not had he was not had a big role. So, do you know what I mean? Mm. This is this is him. He leads this, and he, he is yeah. kind of he's the leader man. He, he I don't want to say he carries it, but you know he's very strong in this. Mm. And okay. he, he then did Speed Racer. He was speed in Speed Racer. Well, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. But after that, you know, he's done sort of supporting role in Milk and, and Killer Joe, and he was in Savages last year. He, he, oh yeah. He is fantastic in this. I mean, he is really, really good. It's a really mature performance. Like, he he, he captures this character very well. Um, for those who don't know about Into the Wild, it's the story of uh, Christopher McCandless, who sold he sold all his possessions, gave his life savings to charity. Uh, after he graduated, he was, you know, he was could have got into Harvard Law and decided he didn't want that. So he, he sold everything and just went off and lived in, you know, on the road and wandered around with the goal of um, going to Alaska and living off the land completely on his own and he, you know it's the story of his travels and his his time in Alaska and this was in 1992 he ends up in Alaska mm. and it's it's told in a sort of non-chronological format so it, it's him arriving in Alaska first and then it goes back two years and it follows his journey sort of across the US uh, and how you know why he started out on it, and, and his journey across the, the country, meeting all these different people. And there's there's a lot of different people that come into his life, you know. And and um, I think Hal Hal Holbrook, who played uh, an old guy that he meets, got um, a nomination for best supporting actor at the Oscars for this. But as a real great sort of supporting cast, Marcia Gay Hard and William Hurt, uh, Gina Malone, who who's pretty decent actually around this period. Uh, Catherine Keener, who is the love interest in 40-year-old virgin. Mm. Uh, Vince Vaughn, Kristen Stewart, looking very, very young and still being an annoying twat of a woman. <laughs> um, God, she is awful. She just, even in this, she just does that one fucking expression, that one tone, oh, God. I hate Kristen Stewart. I, in fact, if I was doing a, a star rating for the like, or a points rating for this film, I would knock at least two off just for her presence. <laughs> um, Zach Galifianakis is in it as well a little role uh, which is an early role for him but um, it's based on a true story and you you probably know how it ends uh, if you're you know you'll probably be aware of what happened I won't spoil it in case anyone hasn't but it, it became a very personal project for Sean Penn this uh, and I believe it was his his debut as a director um, and you know he's he's quite a Oh no! It, it wasn't his his debut, his debut as a director. Sorry, I stand corrected. Uh, he's not made anything since, bizarrely. But this was a real sort of personal project for him, and it's very lovingly made. If that if that makes sense, there's real care and attention to it. It's it's interesting. I'm not sure it's worthy of being sort of number 160-ish on the IMDb top 250. Because you know, if I was if I was arbitrarily ranking films, mm. I wouldn't place it above. The likes of uh, the Graduate or A Beautiful Mind or well Rocky. It's above Rocky, for instance. This is not as good as Rocky. It's not. It's not above The Exorcist. Um, you know, it's a. It's a we just gonna name all the films. It's not. <laughs> like, just just thinking about you know there was there was a lot of films that I remember looking looking yeah. where it was and thinking no it's not it's not that good. 
you know, it's probably better than Harry Potter Part 2, which for some reason is on in the IMDb Top 2. Yeah, no, uh, that means I've got to watch that at some point. I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm waiting it out. I'm waiting out that Harry Potter film until it drops out of 250. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna stare it out. <laughs> um, Jerry, this sounds to an old cynic like me. This sounds like a film which would wind me up with its preachiness and worthiness. Oh no, look at him giving away stuff and going to live off. The... It sounds horribly pretentious. Assure me that it isn't in as briefly as you can. There is an element of that. Right. <laughs> I think Penn does it in a way that. It seems as though that's being pushed and then it's shown that actually that's not the right way to go. So there is sort of a journey as the film goes on, which I think is is a strength. It's it's good without ever being great, but it's interesting, you know, and and come on, let's be honest, it appeals to all of us to just go and fucking be like the manliest man ever and go and hunt deer and live in Alaska and that kind of thing. You know, that's a cool thing. But um, it's very, it's, it's interesting it's very different to a lot of films that come out as well. You know, it's it's quite contemplative. But yeah, I, I can't really give you any details about. There is a definite change in the sort of preachiness okay. and, the, and the message that's going on. Okay. It's it's right behind My Neighbor Totoro on IMDb Top Two Fifty, okay. and it's nowhere near that level. Is my is my the way I would like to summarize it, and I don't know if anybody else has seen it, but it's nowhere near that good. It's, I've it's, not, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Okay. Okay. Um, James. Um, yeah. Uh, briefly, I just want to say we're going to kind of pick up on Film Four Studio Ghibli uh, season in our next episode. But I did watch My Neighbor Totoro with my daughter. Um, earlier today, and she actually sat and watched it all with me, which was for a new film. That's that's actually really good, and I, I really enjoyed it. But I'll talk more about that next week. Um, the two films I do want, quickly want to talk about are the first one is To Killing Mo- To Kill a Mockingbird, the 1962 film. Watch this for a couple of reasons. First one is it is in the IMDb Top 250. It's number 70 at the moment, um, and also. Uh, I've put off writing my decade in film 1962 piece for far too long, so this was the last one I was watching before I write up my article tomorrow. Um, and yes, it is going to make it in there. Uh, basically, those you don't know, it's based on the Pulitzer Prize winning uh, novel by Harper Lee. Um, stars Gregory Peck as Atticus Finch, who is a lawyer in Depression era a southern state of America. I don't think it's mentioned exactly which one it is, but it's where prejudice and racism and uh, segregation is rife and kind of normal um he defends a black man who is completely innocent of a rape charge um uh, and he's also bringing up his two kids uh, on his own and actually it's quite interesting i thought to kill a mockingbird was about the court case uh, was about atticus finch defending a man against prejudice um but that's really that's the centerpiece of the film. But there is a lot of a lot of the film. I think at least the first hour before you even get to the court case, and it is just setting the scene really slowly. Um, and it's if you watch a film like this, it's it just really really struck me. You'd think this was only seventy years ago that people were treating people like this, and. I, I know, yeah. You know, we know that there, we know that there is still racism. We know that there was 
big problems in the deep south in America. But when you sit down and watch such a carefully layered and scripted and well-performed film such as this, it, it kind of really just jabs you in the ribs and says, can you believe how shit humans are to each other sometimes? And it really, it really made me think. Uh, you know, so there's that level. But as a film, it works really well. It hasn't, to me, it didn't date at all. The only things that had dated are the um, the children's performances, in a sense, because they are a little bit stagey, because that was the way that children acted in films back then. It's very, very, uh, no one really caught naturalistic children's performances until quite recently, I think. It's, it's, it's been far more a modern development. So the children are very good in their roles, but they are very, you know, they, they speak as if they're acting rather than as if they're, they're acting naturally. Um, Gregory Peck is fantastic. I'm a big, big fan of Gregory Peck. And he's, uh, he ca- this came out in the same year as Cape Fear, um, two absolutely brilliant Peck performances of a man standing up against everything around him that seems to be wrong and pushing against him. He delivers a fantastic courtroom speech. Um, yeah, Peck is brilliant. The direction is... What I would say about the direction is it's adequate. It, there's nothing exciting about the direction there. You know, it, This film's strength is in its story and, and in its performances. Everything else is there just to allow those to breathe. It's also famous. It's Robert Duvall's um, screen debut. He plays a character called Boo Radley, which... I now realise where the band got the name from. Um, but yeah, he plays this kind of mysterious character, uh, the Boo Radley, who um, the children are obsessed with. And that adds a kind of subtext, and it's a kind of subplot beyond the the the, the trial. I, I really would recommend watching it. it is a, if you haven't seen it, it's a, it's a really, really well-made film. I'd say it's not quite up to the level of 12 Angry Men, but it is a fascinating insight into American justice. Um, and, and, and like I say, just about that whole, that whole era. Um, I don't know if anyone else has seen it. No, it's on TV this week though, and I'm recording it because I've not. Oh, seen is it? it? Okay. Oh, if it's on TV, then I'd, yeah. If, if this is out in time and you hear it, then definitely watch it. The other film I do very quickly want to talk about is a documentary that was out at the very beginning of this year. Uh, it was released on New Year's Day actually um, in the cinemas called McCullin. Uh, it's available on Blinkbox at the moment. That's the reason I watched it. So I got a few free rentals through Blinkbox. So I had a look at it. It's a documentary about the war photographer Don McCullin. Um, it's basically a retrospective documentary. Wow. This was also hugely, hugely powerful. I don't know if any of you have seen Don McCullen's war photography before. You may well have seen it and not realised that it was Don McCullen, because uh, there's a few very famous images there. He, but he the, was the one where the, the injured soldier on the chopper, is that him? Yes, yeah, that's one of them, yeah. Um, one of his really famous ones is of a shell-shocked soldier, just a portrait of a shell-shocked soldier. It's, um, now, this documentary it is not for oh, the easy, oh, not the easily offended, but the easily sensitive or something like that, because basically you see a lot of his photos, and his photos are a very, very real depiction of war. Um, so you see dead people, 
and he's seen a lot of death, hasn't he? Yeah, he has, and it's really interesting because he's interviewed all the way through this film, and he talks about how he always wanted to be a photographer, and how he, he's very honest in talking about how war zones appealed to him, the adventure, um, you know, going out to war zones, and like you were saying uh, um, just now about Into the Wild, you know, that is a very manly thing to go out and prove yourself among soldiers and um, you know, escaping enemy fire and stuff like that. It sounds, you know, it sounds very exciting. But he talks very honestly about the fact that quite often he's taking photographs and he's thinking to himself, do I have the right to take these photographs? Um, and he, he clearly has suffered a lot from this dichotomy of, on one hand, wanting to show the world what is really happening in these war zones. And he's basically been in every major war zone from the 1960s onwards until the 80s um, when he was banned from going to the Falklands War um, by the British military. Uh, and he saw that as a sign that he'd been doing his job too well, basically. And, and at that point, he gave up. Uh, and he he works with charities and he works with um, protest groups and things like that now, but he doesn't, he doesn't go out to wars. But he was in Vietnam, he was in Cambodia. Uh, I believe he was in Korea, towards the end of Korea as well. Um, in Africa, he went to the Congo. And it's it's just a fascinating story of a man who has lived ten lives um, and hearing some of his stories. But he's it's fascinating. He's never boasting. He's never he's never talking about these stories as a boast or um, to challenge other people. Uh, he's talking about these stories purely because he's like his photographs. He's a truthful man, uh, and he wants to explain how and why he got to where he is. It is a fascinate, It's fascinating for anyone who is interested in photography. He talks about. He talks a bit about why he photographs things, how certain photographs were, how he got started in photography. But then a lot of it is about um, the moral journey of a war photographer, and you know, do they have the right to even tell these truths? And he tells this story of going into a house where he sees two dead bodies on the floor in a war zone. He starts photographing the bodies. And then the family come into the house and catch it. And you're just listening to him. And you are, he's got a fantastic way of talking about his work, um, which draws you in. And it's combined with these incredible images, um, which are constantly on screen. And also some um, amateur taken video film footage of the time as well. It's, it's a fascinating documentary, but it's very, very hard going. Um, and I'd only recommend it for those with a strong constitution like i say but the documentary isn't shocking in a sense that it's trying to shock you it's just showing you things that he's done uh, and it's the same when he's being interviewed he's not trying to shock you. he's not telling these stories to show just said this is what happened um but it's a it's a fascinating documentary for those who are interested in um in how again a bit like to kill a mockingbird man's inhumanity um, Does it focus on on particularly on one conflict? Because I, I seem to remember him doing some stuff in uh, Northern Ireland, which I've seen. No, uh, no, it it, it is a, quite a chronological look at the conflicts he was involved with, and there's there is a probably about five ten minute section on the work he did in Northern Ireland. There's a he said he would it was really interesting. He'd go into the pubs and he knew that at three o'clock kicking out time. Um, 
trouble would kick off and he'd just go out into the street and photograph and there's this amazing photograph of the uh, the Northern Irish police preparing to charge and he catches them mid-charge and he said he didn't even notice at the time and there's just this woman in a doorway next to the charge looking on in horror uh, and that's all there's, there's a few photographs like that. there's a brilliant photograph quite early on which I think is um, uh, it was the Cypri- uh, the Cyprus Civil War of a group of kind of ragtag soldiers with um, guns they're all tr- they've all got their sights and guns trained on something and then there's just this dog in the middle of it looking directly at McCullen himself completely away from it and he has this wonderful habit of catching the very small details um, and it's those small details I think which actually bring these pictures to life so yeah that's that that's okay. me done okay um, <clears throat> on to this week's triple bill first triple bill in a while and it is our summer preview uh, we were leaving out deliberately a few films that were going to be fairly obvious to be in pretty much anyone's summer preview so I think it was Superman um, Superman, Star Trek and uh, Iron Man 3 so technically Iron Man 3 seems to be out next week so it isn't really a summer film but no, it's eh, a bit early I yeah. didn't realise that but anyway I'm going to kick us off. I've gone, I've gone comedy. I've gone comedy heavy because there seems to be a lot of good comedies out this summer, or potentially good comedies. Uh, first one is Twenty One and Over, starring no one you've probably ever heard of. Um, <laughs> so we can skip over that straight away. But from the trailer and you know from the, all the promotional stuff, it seems to be it's written by the the, the writers of The Hangover. I notice they haven't put part two and part three on there so <laughs> I'm hoping that the people they've just written The Hangover these people they didn't have anything to do with the sequels because um, The Hangover was a funny film I don't yeah any of your I'll give you that yeah but two and well I haven't seen three yet it's not out but two was just shit yeah. anyway this one is about a lad called Jeff Chang and he's about to turn 21 um, but it so happens that it's the night before um, an interview he's got but his friends won't really take that excuse not to celebrate their mates 21st so they take him out and like super bad like the hangover things don't quite go according to plan they fall into all kinds of different misadventures which uh, it looks funny from the trailer and obviously when it's going to be like a 15 or an 18 they can't show the best bits in a trailer on the telly it's strange you can't it's hard trying to talk and sort of spread out a discussion and make it sort of last a while about films that haven't come out yet because you don't know anything about them, really. Um, the next film I am reviewing, uh, not reviewing, is previewing, is This Is The End, uh, starring Seth Rogen, Jonah Hill, um, and Jane Franco as themselves in a situation where the world has come to an end. Uh, again, from the trailer, it looks very funny. Seth Rogen. Have you seen the latest longer trailer? No, I don't think I have. The longer one is where shit is happening. That you actually start to see a lot of the world-ending stuff. No, I've seen and that. that actually got me very excited. At the, now. at the end of the trailer that I've seen, there's a brief bit of that, but it's mostly uh, uh, Seth Rogen and um, James Franco in some kind of bunker, and then a little bit of the the main cast. Yeah. No. The the um. I, what I would say actually is no if if you haven't seen the long trailer and you're planning to go and see it don't watch the long trailer because I think it gives away quite a lot and 
as is often the case with comedy trailers, there's a worry that all they're using all the best jokes in there. Um, but I'm I'm hugely excited by this. There's a lot of people that I really like involved in this. And I, I cannot wait to James, see this James film. James Franco seems to have quite a range of acting. He has to do comedy and more serious yeah. stuff. And, and also um, Breakers. Oh, I didn't even know it was James Franco in Spring Breakers. I, I looked him up the next day. Oh, wow, that was... Fuck me, Spring Breakers is terrible. Te- I want to get this on record. It is the worst film I've seen this year. Do not listen to all these wannabe hipsters who reckon it's good. It's not. It's a bad film. Um, but this is the end. It's got Sorry. A, a massive cast of everyone playing themselves. It's got Emma Watson and Michael Sarah and Jason Segel and Paul Rudd and uh, the Backstreet Boys are in it, so... Yeah, Rihanna's in it. Sold. Yeah. <laughs> and the um, final comedy in my summer preview is um, World's End, which is the final part of the Blood and Cornetto trilogy by Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright. Bit of crossover here then, because I'll pick that yeah. as well. Uh, Have we got a trailer for that yet? I've no. I tried to find one today and can't yeah. find it. It's definitely out in August. No one uh, seems to know much about it all, at all, do they? They've been very good at. Uh, they've kept it quiet, haven't they? All, yeah. all I know is it's out on the 14th of August uh, in the UK. It's about five childhood friends who go home to um, do a legendary pub crawl from sort of their hometown. One of them still lives in the hometown. The rest of them have moved away. Um, but the night becomes a struggle. And according to the tagline, not just theirs, but humanities. Yeah. Um, it's got Simon Pegg, obviously, and Nick Frost, uh, Paddy Constantine, uh, and Martin Freeman. Uh, yes, I mean, excited yeah. for that. It should be fucking brilliant, shouldn't it? Let's be honest. Considering everything that they've seen to have done together has been brilliant. So talking Sean the Dead, Hot Fuzz and Spaced um, has been brilliant so far. They've got high hopes for this. Yeah, and Edgar Wright did Scott Pilgrim, which is brilliant as well, so, yes. And he's doing the Ant-Man film, which I'm quite And he's doing Ant-Man as yeah. well, yes. So, yes, that one is probably the one I'm looking forward to most out of those three. And why not? Yeah, I think it'll be really good. I mean, um, like you said, everything they've done, all three of them together, has been brilliant. So, there's no reason this should be any different, I don't think. No. I guess the, the, the only problem, I guess, that might come from it is... There'll be quite a lot of expectation on it. People are going to expect it to be as good mm. as Shaun of the Dead and uh, Hot Fuzz. But, you yeah. know... Yeah. They've had that the, problem before with Hot Fuzz, and in my opinion it wasn't as good as Shaun of the Dead, but it was, it was bloody good. Yeah, I mean, it's still a really good comedy, one of the, perhaps one of the best British comedies anyway. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I think that it, even if it's not as good as those, it's still going to be a really good film. Yeah, I mean, like, Hot Fuzz is one of those films that it's on all the time, and you, you end up watching it countless times, and it's still funny. I think that's mm. the best phrase you can give it, is it stays funny. Yeah. Yeah. I, I am genuinely excited for this film. Like, it's, it should be really, really good. And I can't really see how it's not going to be good. Well, I suppose that might be in part, though, because we've not found out anything about it yet, really. We've got no trailer, we've got no... Teasers. We've got no none of them doing any promo work about it or any kind of quotes about it or anything. By now, you're usually getting that kind of thing ramped up. 
But I mean, the cast and crew inspire confidence, don't they? I mean, you sort yeah. of have faith in them to deliver. Yeah. I mean, Rosamund uh, Pike is in it, and uh, that's not even put me off yet. She was awful in. Uh, <laughs> jo- uh, what was that? Jack Reacher. Jack Reacher. Yeah, she was terrible in that, but that's not even put me off yet. So, I'm quite looking forward to it. Okay. Oh, and we've had some crossover then, so you can kick on with your remaining two. Okay. Well, I mean, the first one I'm going to talk about then is due out in a couple of weeks as well, which I didn't realise we were excluding films from April. But I, I didn't say no, I didn't to be think fair. April was summer, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, it is... It's at the moment, so... Yeah. Okay, well, Evil Dead is the first one I'm going for. Um, I were, I mean, I'm not sure. I wasn't sure about it to start with. When I first heard they were remaking it, I was sort of outright against it. Then I sort of warmed to it a little bit and thought, mm, if they can do something slightly different with it and use the same elements but make a good film, then you know, then perhaps it'll perhaps it'll work. Mm. But then you get people like Bruce Campbell who came out and initially he came out and said doesn't want anything to do with it. Uh, he said it's not it's not his project. He's not involved. They haven't asked him to be in it, so he's not gonna he's not gonna do it. Yeah. Um, but he, I've since seen comments from him praising the film, saying good things about it. Yeah. Um, as well as Sam Raimi's involved with, well, I don't know if he's actually involved with the making of it, but he might have been sort of one of these consultants or something. But even yeah. he sort of said that, it's, you know, it's actually a pretty good film. And there is a lot of positive talk about it, you know, lots of reviews on the internet saying it's a good film. Um, because, I mean, the worry with remakes anyway, it, as particularly of horror films, I guess, is they're either going to, discard too much of the original film and just make it a generic piece of shit movie like Friday the 13th remake, uh, for yeah. example. Or they're just going to go too far and try and add to the legend and make it something like uh, the Halloween remake where they just think this Halloween film was so good they're just going to put all their fanboyism into it and make it into something bigger and better. And so most of the time it doesn't work. But it seems like they've kind of found the right balance with Evil Dead. You know, they've just changed little things about it, you know, making the main character, instead of being Ash, they've changed it to uh, Jane Levy, I think. And she's, um, so, you know, they've changed the gender, perhaps changed the story a little bit. I mean, it's hard to talk about it because I've not seen it yet. But I know that, Mm. you know, they've just changed, it seems seems like, from what I've read, they've changed enough to give it its own identity, um, but still make it feel like Evil Dead. So... It's it's got me quite excited to see it now, so I'm really looking forward to it. And I hope my piddly little Cineworld cinema shows it, because um, I only saw one of my winter preview films. <laughs> oh dear! <laughs> yeah, it was terrible. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So that, that's my second film, I guess, after uh, World's End. My final film, I think there'll be crossover. I hope there's crossover. Uh, it is, of course, Alpha Papa, the Alan Partridge movie. I, uh, yeah, I left it off left my list purposes. knowing that someone else would pick it because okay. I, I cannot wait for that no, to come out. No, me neither. It's due out on uh, my wedding anniversary, actually, Friday the 16th of August. So oh, that's going to be... That's romantic. <laughs> yeah, I am dragging her to see that. We are going on opening day for that, I'm sorry. But uh, very romantic, yes. But um, yeah, I mean, it's directed by uh, Declan Lowry, who I guess is most known for his TV work. He's done a lot of... TV episodes of different things as well as TV films. Mm. He has worked on uh, Alan Partridge previously. He did the, uh, I don't know whether you saw it, but Open Books with Martin Bryce, which was one of the things they filmed for Sky Atlantic uh, last year, which was very funny. Um, 
And it's also, it's got uh, Amanda Iannucci involved in it, which is a good sign. It's got Neil and Rob Gibbons, uh, the two brothers who sort of worked with Coogan and Iannucci to write the I Partridge book, which was also very funny. So there's a lot of talented cast members there. Obviously, Steve Coogan, uh, and I'm a massive fan of his work. It, I mean, it was it did seem for a little while, didn't it? Like he he wanted to move away from Partridge. Like he'd kind of yeah. he wanted to be Hollywood Steve Coogan, if you like. Yeah. Um, but I think it's kind of it. Not I'm not saying he's failed at it. I think he's been in some very successful films, and he's been very funny in a few of those roles as well. Yeah. But I'm glad he's come back to. Alan he Partridge. was never going to be a Hollywood leading man, though, was he? No. Um, I, no. But yeah, he made some good films. He made some poor films. Um, but yeah, like I think he's, I think he's happier in himself now. I think mm. he fit, obviously he's proved what he needs to prove outside of Partridge, and he feels comfortable going back to Partridge now. And and we can all rejoice because exactly. Partridge is one of my favourite uh, comedy creations of the last twenty years. I, Same. I just love Partridge. Yes. I mean, I love um, Steve Coogan anyway. I think before yeah. Partridge, it was just, it just completely changed everyone's perception of him, didn't it? Because before then, people yeah. saw him as like Paul Carf or Pauline Carf. Yeah. And then Partridge came along and just he was no longer Steve Coogan as yeah Paul or Pauline Carf. He was just yeah. Adam Partridge. So That's you can it. see why he wanted to distance himself from it, give him yeah. a bit of breathing space, I suppose. And he is, I suppose he is now seen back to, you know, people see him as Steve Coogan, as Alan Partridge. Yeah. Which is, I imagine, his intention all along anyway. That's what yeah. he wanted to achieve. So, yeah, but I'm, no, I'm glad that he's not completely retired the character. And they, because of, you know, mid-morning matters, when that first came back yeah. to Foster's comedy, that was just a massive turning point, I think. Yeah. And bringing it to Sky Atlantic and the work, like I say, on I, I Partridge, the book, um... Download the audio really book by Partridge, by the way. You have to get that. If nobody's got that. Yes. I've got the audio oh, book, oh, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Although, I made the mistake of listening to it, my car nearly crashed on multiple occasions. <laughs> <laughs> myself laughing. Yeah. I do just want to say, um, on the Twitter earlier today, we asked uh, people for their the ones they're looking forward to, and at Andy underscore Alcock said that Alpha Papa is the film he's waited most of his life for. Mm. Uh, and yeah, I kind of agree with that. He's got um, another film out, The Look of Love, as well, which is like the Paul Raymond... Which I saw yeah, in Glasgow. Yeah. Epic. yeah. It's very good. It's very good. Um, I did say at the time, there were times, though, where it felt, um, because of the character, it, it, you just see elements of Partridge in the character. Um, but I think that's because of the type of people that Coogan plays in some of these biopics. It, also, Tony, uh, his um, Tony Wilson yeah. at times in Twenty Four Hour Party People, there were elements of parts of that, and you and you get the impression actually this is because these are, these are the type of people that Coogan has kind of worked his way up in his career with and come across, and so he built that into Partridge. And it's not I've you know I've come to realise now it's not him doing an Alan Partridge impression. It's the fact that Alan Partridge himself is based on a lot of these kind of mm. semi, you know, successful but insecure people that he's come across. So I, 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 I now recognise it not as him doing Alan... Which, in a way, just goes to show you how successful a character Alan Partridge is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's because... You're right, right. I think it's because he's um, made up of bits of, you know, this character, and he's made up of bits of this mm. presenter and stuff, and... That's why everything reminds you of Partridge because it's, yeah. it's just a brilliant character. Uh, it's just fantastic 
of like taking all these different elements and turning it into an identifiable character. Yeah. Not so you think of Partridge as a bit like Steve Wright in the afternoon. You know, you don't think of that. You think no. he's like Partridge, which is genius. Yeah. Right, James, what are your films to look out for this summer? Okay, my films to look out for this summer are the first one. Okay, so last year, one of the biggest films of the summer was directed by Joss Whedon, made over a billion dollars, was made for about 200 million, I think. Huge Marvel ensemble. So, what's Joss Whedon going to do to follow that up? Um, A black and white, very low budget, Shakespearean adaptation of Much Ado About Nothing, that he filmed at his house with some of his friends over a couple of weeks. And I cannot wait for it. Um, I don't know if anyone else has ever read or uh, much to do about nothing at school or something like that. People only ever seem to read Shakespeare at school. I've never known anyone just read a Shakespeare play um, for fun. Um, but I don't know if anyone knows about that or saw the the Kenneth Branagh mid nineties version, which had kind of Keanu Reeves and Denzel Washington <laughs> and lots of other people in. Bit of, um, but it is. Shakespeare's most cryptic and um, almost convoluted, but in a good way, romantic comedy. It's it basically is the original smart, ironic romantic comedy, and in the hands of Joss Whedon, that just makes me even more excited. He's got a lot of his usual actors around him. Pretty much everyone who's ever been in his stuff is in this. Um, so Amy Acker plays uh, Beatrice. You've got Nathan Fillion in it. You've got uh, Alexis Denisoff. Um, the, basically, the main part, uh, the main body of the the story is that Beatrice and Benedict, uh, Benedict are constantly at each other's throats, but secretly they kind of fancy each other, that kind of thing. Um, there's all sorts of intrigue and romance and things like that. And what I love about this is actually Wedden's been doing Shakespearean readings for years and getting his actor friends to come and do readings at his house and stuff like that because that's what you can do when you're <laughs> Joss Wedden. I'm so jealous. Um, and then he just said to, he sent out a call to his friend said who can spare a couple of weeks and didn't tell them what he was doing. They turned up and he kind of cast them as they turn up um, and then just filmed it and then got to put it out there. I mean, how fucking cool is that? That you can, that he can. I'm just so pleased that he's in, now in a place because I've been a fan of his for a long, long time, and I'm so pleased that he's finally in a place where he can do things like that. Um, the trailer for this looks really good. It looks like there's actually some really great striking photography, so it could be a chance to see the more photographic side of Josh Sweden um, rather than the the smart scripty side of him. So that's another reason I'm very excited about it. Um, I, I think it's going to be really, really good. I'm, I'm very excited about that. Um, so my second choice, and my, my other two are two sequels. Uh, the first one is the sequel to my favourite Pixar film, uh, which is Monsters, Inc. And Monsters University is the sequel. Very excited about it. I love Toy Story. I love Wall-E. I love Up. Um, but I think all round in terms of accessibility, in terms of fun, in terms of humour, and in terms of actually a genuine like a self-contained story, Monsters, Inc. is my favourite Pixar film, without a doubt. Bold words, James. Mm. I know, I know, huge words, but I, I genuinely mean that. I, I think it has got absolutely everything. Um, it is undoubtedly a great film. 
And yes. I'm not going to lie, I only left it off my list because you'd picked it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a little bit of horse trading going on before this. Um, but with that, there is that note of caution where I think Monsters, Inc. is a perfect self-contained story. And I have got ever so... This is on my list because I'm really excited about it. And I'm also really excited about it because my daughter is probably is going to be of the age where I can take her to the cinema and she'll sit and watch a film with me. And this is going to be the first time I get to do that. And she likes Monsters, Inc. So I'm very excited from a personal point of view. But I have got... I've got this note of reservation about Pixar starting to seem appear to be relying on sequels. Um... And I don't think that's a good direction. It's a well, put it this way: it's a direction that worries me. This week we saw that they announced that they're doing a Finding Nemo uh, sequel called Finding Dory, and it just seems like we're getting into the stage of franchises with them. Especially as Brave, I, I liked Brave, but it didn't seem to do as well as everyone thought it would. Um, a lot of people went to, and it almost feels like Pixar have gone back and gone right now. We can't take any more risks. Let's let's almost churn out the stuff that we know works. Uh, I've got, yeah, you know, it's brilliant. They have brought back John Goodman. They brought back Billy Crystal. They brought back Steve Buscemi. Uh, they've added Helen Mirren to the cast list. They've got Alfred Molina on the cast list as well. Frank Oz is back. They've got Joel Murray. It's a great voice voice cast. Um, and the trailer, I, you know, the trailer I've seen, very, very short trailer I've seen, looks to have a lot of fun. You know, it, it looks like it should be really good, but I'm just slightly concerned about the direction Pixar are taking at the moment. Um, and I'm worried about who's actually kind of steering the ship there. I think that's a fair point. Mm. There, there is a worrying sort of... I don't want to say it, but it, it, it seems like a very Disney-influenced thing where they're now doing it very much for commercial, you know, things they know that will be profitable. Because Cars 2, they know that was going to make them a lot of money, even if it's not particularly good. Exactly. Cars 2 is the... is the uh, That could well be the tipping point. That's to me, is the first, and only so far, Pixar film where it looks like they went, this will sell us a load of cars, this will sell us a load of toys, this will sell us a load of duvets. And it worked. My... My daughter's blooming obsessed with cars, so I've spent far too much money on officially licensed cars goods for her. So clearly it's work, but that that worries me because that that when you watch Cars too, you go, no, this was this is a car advert, this is a toy advert, um, and that does worry me. And I I just hope there is some semblance of quality control. You would hope that um, people like Billy Crystal and John Goodman wouldn't sign on if it wasn't if there wasn't some integrity but you never know I, I just like I say I'm dead excited to see it I just I just hope they haven't taken their eye off the ball like, and that it is a brilliant sequel because they did it with the Toy Story sequels they worked for me so maybe this is maybe this is more more Toy Story 2 than Cars 2 yeah and that's, what I think that's the hope I mean they do have a track record of doing good ones don't get me wrong yeah. I don't want to make out like I'm, I'm worried by any sequels no it's, it's not. the implication of laziness and possible commercial motivations over artistic creative yeah. things because Toy Story they, they clearly had a vision for where that was going you know what I mean? They, they they created a whole arc and they, they, they had scope to develop the characters and add new characters in. And Although that was originally going to be a straight-to-video um, uh, release, but but there's a, there were enough talented people 
at Pixar to be able to make it into a brilliant film. Um, and I'm just hoping that there's still enough talented people so that even if there are money men in charge at the very top, there's enough talent below that to go, okay, we're being forced to make a sequel on this film. Let's make it the best damn sequel we can do. I hope that attitude is still there. Yeah. What's your final film then? My final one is uh, another sequel, but again, this isn't a sequel because someone's trying to make money. This is based on source materials. So that are, you know, again, this is very much a sequel from an artistic point of view, and that is Kick-Ass 2. Uh, I loved the original Kick-Ass. I think it's a brilliant film based on the comic book by Mark Miller. Uh, I very recently at Glasgow Film Festival went to a Q&A with Mark Miller talking about Kick-Ass 2. Although it wasn't the most useful Q&A because he wasn't allowed to tell us a lot of what was going on. <laughs> um, but he gave us a bit of an update. But um, Kick-Ass 2 follows on a few years later from the events of Kick-Ass. Um, basically, uh, Hit Girl and Kick-Ass, uh, Dave um, and Mindy, essentially, are at school trying to get on with their lives, but secretly they're still training um they're still trying to be superheroes and and he's um, looking jacked in this film by the way yeah that's, that's that's a slight concern you can i hope they explain that in the sense that um i'm hoping they explain the fact that he he looks that way simply because he's been training with mindy that that would be one way you could get away with that um because in the first film he is intended to be a complete amateur, obviously. Uh, and then hopefully this film looks a lot bigger. It looks a lot flashier. But now uh, Kick-Ass and Hit-Girl uh, have teamed up with a new league of superheroes. Um, one of which is played by Jim Carrey, who plays Colonel Stars and Stripes. Um he, I think Jim Carrey's got the the Nick uh, Nick Cage style of role here, the the elder statesman of Hollywood who gets to come in, have a lot of fun. And um, Mark Miller said that basically he did fulfil that role. He had no fear. He came and he tried things over and over again. Had a lot to add, and he did bring that touch of Hollywood glamour and professionalism to the whole thing. Uh, and they go up against. Um, Christopher Mintz-Plass's uh, Chris D'Amico's, if you remember at the end of the first film, his dad uh, killed by kick-ass and so he swears to take revenge and uh, he comes back, in the first film he's the Red Mist and in this film he comes back as the motherfucker which is <laughs> quite possibly the best superhero or bad uh, villain name ever um, it looks, again my, my Again, this is another film where I've got a slight concern. I'm very excited about it. The trailer looks good, um, but we haven't got Matthew Vaughan in charge this time. Matthew Vaughan isn't directing, he's just producing, and it's not been written by Jane Goldman this time either. Um, so it is almost an entirely different creative team being overseen by uh, Matthew Vaughan. Now, Jeff Wadlow is the uh, the guy who's directed this, and he directed um, Never Back Down previously. Um, he's not directed a lot, to be honest. Uh, Never Back Down and Cry Wolf, which I've, I don't think I've even heard of. Uh, it sounds like the kind of thing Owen might have heard of. What's it called? Cry Wolf. Eight unsuspecting high school seniors at a posh boarding school who delight themselves on playing games of lies come face to face with terror 
and learn that nobody believes a liar, even when they're telling the truth. It's got John Bon Jovi in it. Spiegel, <laughs> then. Uh, it's got Gary Cole in it. Any film with Gary Cole is worth a look. Um, but yeah, so he's not got a huge amount of um, pedigree. So there's a, I've got a couple of question marks over it. But I love the source material. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to give it a go. I think it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be good. Um, and it could be brilliant. Who knows? I think what it's got going for it is the first film was a lot better than the comic. I think the, mm-hmm. the comic took the premise of what would happen if someone decided to dress up as a superhero and then go out and fight crime. Yeah. Uh, and it kind of lost its way halfway through. The, the, but the film adaptation, it kept this momentum going, I think partly because of the performances and it was so good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Kick-Ass 2, the comic, has pretty much universally been panned by everyone who's read it. Uh, right. As just a violent... Um, you know, one of these controversial comics that he tries to do stuff in it to just to get a bit of a reputation. Right, yeah. Um, and there's not much substance to it, apparently. So, the, the only thing that he's got going for it is the, the film is better than the comic of the first one. Maybe the film will be better than the comic in the second one. But, um, yes. Yeah. Like I say, Mike, that, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of Jane Goldman. I think she's a she's a really good writer, and the fact that she's not writing this is the reason I'm concerned. Mm. But but I'm, I'm I'm ever the optimist, so that's why it's on my list. Okay, well, let's get on to Jerry's list. Okay, so I mean, Kickass Two, I was extremely excited about as well, um, and as I say, there was a couple of modifications based on what other people are doing. First one that I feel obliged to be excited about due to my previous record with his films is Pacific Rim, which is the new Guillermo del Toro film. Um, And basically, from what I can gather from the trailer, a load of aliens attack Earth, and then humans fight. From another dimension, don't forget. Oh, yeah. Um, And then humans fight back by constructing absolutely enormous robots. Uh, and then they have epic Transformer style versus alien thing battles. Yeah. And it's got Idris yeah. <laughs> It's got Idris Elba in and it's directed by Guillermo del Toro and it's fucking massive robots fighting massive aliens with excellent graphics. What the fuck more could you want from a film? I'm so excited about that film. This was another one that was on my list and we I, we decided to split ours, didn't we, Jerry? Yeah. But yeah, this would have been on mine. It's got Ron Perlman in. Um, of course. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> Lovely thing about uh, Ron Perlman, by the way. He um, he dressed up, he, he did the full Hellboy makeup and stuff, which took like four or five hours, just because a kid had a, a Make-A-Wish uh, oh, desire to, to meet Hellboy. So he went and he did, you know, spent hours and hours in makeup and, and went and met this kid and then spent the rest of the day with him as well as Hellboy. Oh, Nice guy. Oh, bless him. Yeah. Um... Yeah, no, I, I know. I, I saw the trailer for this. Oh, oh my fucking god, yes! Um, you've got that that uh, noise in the trailer, which seems to be in every trailer at the moment. That yeah, kind of deep it, bass. It's coolest in this one. Let's be honest. Yeah, oh yeah, it's at its if best you in this, this one. This, go and watch it, and just yeah, don't do it in a place where because you're not going to ruin anything by watching the trailer for this because it is just going to be robots fighting aliens for ninety minutes, and it's going to be fucking awesome. And it's Idris Elba giving off like an awesome speech. Oh yeah, no, I'm I'm very very excited about this film, it, and 
I, did, I also like the fact that Del Toro really kicked off about them making him add 3D. He was very professional about it. He said, look, okay, they've given me the money. I suppose I've got to do this. But he he's filmed... Don't bother wasting your money on 3D for this because he's filmed this to be seen not in 3D. He, he's not bothered about 3D. So there's going to be no extra effort made. It's just to fleece a bit more money. But Del Toro's not involved in that. So go and see it in 2D, how Del Toro wanted you to see it. Yeah. I, I'm... Uh, it, it's basically if you're a bit of a geek you're going to have a massive hard on for this film um, <laughs> the second film that I'm really excited about slightly different sort of take but still awesome is Pain and Gain which is yeah. the rock Marky Mark <laughs> I mean <laughs> even though it's a Michael Bay film yeah but you know Michael Bay can sometimes you know Bad Boys the original Bad Boys was yeah, he's he's not for a long time. I think that that's the way. Armageddon. Yeah, we we. I think that was the last good film he made. But if you think this is this is for anyone who doesn't know, it's about um, three bodybuilders. It's based on a true story. Um, the article in the it's a Miami paper. There's a really long lengthy article from like 1999 about the actual true case, which is fascinating. Read it. Take you hours to read, but it's it's really interesting. Um, but Michael Bay is going to film this. Hopefully, in this and get the relationships in the same way that you did with bad with bad boys because yeah, that first you know that the sort of buddy, com not quite comic but a bit comic and that kind of uh, how how can you put bad boys really because it's 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 a bit of a hard to categorise film is it because it's a bit action it's a bit funny it it it's it's a, it's an edgy buddy cop film yeah yeah but hopefully that dynamic between characters is yeah. going to be captured with pain and gain. You get that with The Rock anyway, I think. I think when you sign up for the, when you sign The Rock up for your film, you, we saw that in G.I. Joe, the scenes with him and Channing Tatum were just two guys having... They were, you just wanted to go out for a beer with them. And, 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 and Mark Wahlberg's made... You know, he's, he's on reasonably good form. Ted aside, you know, he's been making some good yeah. films recently. And Yeah, and again, he's got a decent screen presence. I like him. I, I do like Mark Wahlberg. Um, it's also... I didn't, it's got Senor Chang from Community in it. I'm very excited. And it's got Kurt Angle. Yeah, Kurt Angle's in it. Um, Anthony Mackie's in it. There's a good supporting cast to it, you know. Yeah, Ed Harris. Ed Harris, yeah, Anthony no. Mackie out of... Um, oh, he was uh, in Notorious. He played Tupac in Notorious, but he was oh, in... Okay. Um, Rob Codry's in it. Yeah, no, this is this is a good... This is a good... It's got a good cast. Um, how long is it? Michael Bay seems to go make films that are half an hour too long. That's that's the next thing I need. It's only been made for £25 million as well. Yeah, he seems to... I think, That's low budget for Michael Bay. I think he might be deliberately doing that to try and curb his excesses. Or the yeah. studio are deliberately doing that to curb his excesses. Because he does... You know... The recent films that he's made that have gone off the boil have been mm. massive mega-budget films. Yeah. And the ones that he... Even the ones that he's been sort of producing have been massive budgets. You know, he, he even... He, he produced Boardwalk Empire, which was a very expensive series... Mm. No, he, he he produced the fighter, which kind of brought this back. I mm. think that is where the relationship with him and Wahlberg will have come from, because that was a really personal project for Wahlberg. And you know, Wahlberg's obviously seen something in the way he worked on the fighter to mm. to suggest that he can do this story justice, because it is a fascinating original story. Yeah, um, and I think. He, he he did some stuff that that hopefully 
in the past he's done some stuff that will hopefully mean that this is really really good and it's The Rock what else do you want I mean fucking hell it's brilliant yeah <laughs> my what's third film go on Steve what's your last film okay I, it was quite hard to come to a, a sort of decision on this um, The Wolverine I'm quite excited but also quite worried about because I don't think the credentials are there to make this good uh, Owen will probably have a view on this as well The Wolverine uh, it's hard to, to tell isn't it I mean <laughs> it could the comic it's based on I've not read but I've read a lot about um, and they say the story's quite good it's just how much they stick to it um, considering the Origins film was just a pile of crap basically yeah um, but the film that I want to actually talk about is because I was denied the opportunity to talk about uh, Monsters U uh, Despicable Me 2 mm-hmm. is out this summer which is another excellent animated film I uh, don't know if anybody else has seen the original Despicable Me. I have, yes. Yeah, yeah. Are we, are we fans of Despicable Me? I liked it. I liked it. I, it. I didn't think it was quite up with Pixar's best, but I did enjoy it. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, and I think it's it's kind of one of those films that sometimes they're very they're very cliched and they're very. You know, it's cliched in a bad way, and you 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 lose interest. But I thought this had a sort of genuine charm about it, the original. You know, it, yes, there was a lot of stereotypes in there, but it, they did it well, and they did it with feeling, and that's nice. And so hopefully, I mean, this has got Al Pacino added in as well to the voice cast. Yeah. Um, really strong voice cast, similar to the first one. There's, there's a great cast in there, and the characters are quite strong. You've got that developed previously. Um, uh, Steve Carell's character grew you know it, it, there's enough personality already established there that they don't need to do too much on that front and they can make a lot of personality jokes um, mm. it should be a good solid summer family film I'm not going to say it's going to be fantastic and great but you know as summer family films go it's probably yeah. going to be pretty good excellent right um would need a f- box office flop then for the summer from everyone, starting with Owen. Uh, I'm going to go for World War Z. Yeah, I'm uh, going to agree with you. It's going to be absolutely terrible, and it's a shame because the book is fantastic, but they've really... Although Owen hates the book. I hate the book. Fight, 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 fight. I think the book is a nice concept. I read uh, The Zombie Survival Guide first, and I mm, quite yeah. like that. It's a very tongue-in-cheek straight mm. book about how to survive a zombie apocalypse. I mean, it's literally like a manual, which is brilliant. I, I quite enjoyed I that. I don't need a manual, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the the book itself, I really had a problem with the writing. I couldn't stand it. I love the concept of just being about, you know, these loads of interviews with different people uh, mm. after the event, but uh, I just it really did my head in. I was reading it on a book one day, and I looked out the window, and I thought, I could just love this book out the window right now and I wouldn't I wouldn't regret spending the money on it it really wound me up I like the book but I do think it was be- I think it's better suited to a mini series I- I'd love to have seen it done in a, you know like the old World at War which had Laurence Olivier it if they'd done it would have been best done like World of War or like Band of Brothers 
Yeah. With, with the with the bits at the beginning of Band of Brothers where they're talking to the veterans. See, I'd 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 want it not. I I I want it. I don't want any. Um, I, I'd like I'd like it to have done purely fake documentary. I'd I'd love to have seen that. That would have been quite that, good. That would have been. Or yeah, something. I would have someone like Liam Neeson narrating it. You know, and like <laughs> yeah, that'd be fucking yeah. cool. I would have thought um, something like Generation Kill would have suited it. Did you watch Gen- Generation Kill? No, I didn't actually. That was kind of just like a journalist who's there with the soldiers. So it's okay, not quite yeah. a documentary, but it's it is a drama series. But yeah, something like that I thought would have suited it. But um, if they'd have improved the script a little bit. Yeah. Uh, James, what's your flop for the summer? Controversially, um, I'm going for one of the ones that we said we weren't going to put in. Um, I'm, I'm just saying this because I've got, I've got, I'm starting to have severe doubts about it, and that is Man of Steel. I've, got, I've got a horrible feeling it's going to let us all down horribly. Whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> I know. Um, I think the thing is, it can't because it then fucks up everything that the studio wants to do with the Justice League. Yep. It did, um, if it bombs, it absolutely messed up. I, 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 I don't think it'll bomb. I, did, I think it'll make I think it'll make more than enough money because um, we've got to a stage where certain blockbusters will make a certain amount of money regardless. If people don't like it, so they lose faith in the Superman. Yeah, character. I think because if, I think that's the sense of people not liking it. Because if that Superman film they done with Brandon Wast name was a success, then this Man of Steel now could have been a Justice League film. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I've I've got a horrible feeling we're looking at. Superman three levels. No, it won't be that bad. I ju- I just don't think it's going to be great. I think <laughs> I, I've got I've got bad feel. I d- I don't think the look suit. I think Zack Snyder has done thing has a great talent for certain types of f- filmmaking, and the films of his that I've liked have had a certain look and a certain feel and a certain hyper reality, and I just think trying to get him to make a Christopher Nolan film could be average results. I, you know, it depends. I, I could be if wrong. They get the best of both of them out of it. You know, if it's if it's sort of the yeah. stylisticness with with. I, and I'd love to be wrong as well because I genuinely want it to be good. Um, but I've I've got horrible. I've just got this nagging feeling that it's it it's it's just going to let us down. That's all. That's, so that's my that's my prediction. And Jerry. Um, I'm going to say, well, what I hope it's not going to do well at the box office as well is Great Gatsby. Because that is one of my favourite books ever. And I've seen the trailers. And what the actual fuck is Baz Luhrmann doing anywhere near that film? What? Oh, ah. I mean, there's a good cast, don't get me wrong. Leonardo DiCaprio, good. Not that good. Yeah. Serious drama. That's probably his worst one. Um, Kerry Mulligan. I think she's quite one-dimensional. I can see why she's being picked for this, but she's not Daisy. Joel Edgerton, good actor. Tobey Maguire, twat. Uh, and Baz Luhrmann, just a fucking useless prick who somehow seems to still get work. Uh, I can't stand Baz Luhrmann. He's terrible. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I like some of his films. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest here. I think uh, Strictly Ballroom is a great uh, independent film, and I liked Romeo and Juliet. And uh, I, I liked uh, um, Moulin Rouge. I'm, I'm holding my hands, but at the same time, I think this looks like it could be terrible. If you see the so trailer, I will agree with you there. It's got like fucking modern music over it and all sorts, and it looks horrible. And I, I mean, oh. I, I, and the fact that it's in 3D just seems. Uh, <laughs> I don't great understand that. Yeah. In 3D, and it seems to be just so they can do the thing, the scene where he throws the books. I mean, that yeah, just seems yeah. to be the whole point of it. But what the trailer? What the trailer portrayed? And obviously, I'm going off a very limited thing. But mm. The trailer portrayed. And what I think Lerman does is he's a very superficial director. Yeah. He's very much about Oh, yeah. And I think if they miss the point entirely of The Great Gatsby and make this about looking cool and having visuals, this will be one of the worst films ever made because that's not the point of the book. So mm. there is all this superficiality and it's all the sort of tainted poison underneath it. And that's what makes it brilliant. And the look of the trailer is, oh, that's, oh Mad Men's cool. Let's do something like old school like Mad Men and make it look really cool. And forget about the substance. Oh fuck! I fuck Basil Luhrmann. And why has he been any allowed anywhere near this book? Just awful. He shouldn't even be allowed to read it. That's how good that book is. And how much worried he <laughs> He should have just. He should, he should have got it if he went into a shop. No, sorry, Baz. No, I don't want your mind being polluted by good stuff. You can just stay away, prick. Okay. Well, we've been going on for far too long now. God, yeah. The best draw this edition to a close. Next week, we'll be reviewing Oblivion, starring Tom Cruise and Morgan Freeman. Yeah, Tom Cruise, kind of, baby. Tom Cruise in, as well. In some kind of <laughs> post-apocalyptic space-time-earth stuff going on. Fuck yeah, it's going yeah. to be good. Thanks, Excited. Thanks for listening. Thanks for anyone who's contributed, and including Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Steve. There's nothing wrong with being last, you know. But there's always a chance that you can get a point eventually, Jerry. Don't someone someone's got to be there, haven't they? <laughs> yeah. Jerry, there can't be a winner if there's not a loser. Yeah. Exactly, right. Steve. Although I know that you haven't you haven't won one either, so you know, we've we've managed to guess them, so I don't feel quite as bad, Steve. We'll have some solidarity for being losers. <laughs> there you I'm go. Clinging, I'm clinging to whatever I can. <laughs> Um, well, I think we've got a, a fantastic what we've been watching this week. Who wants to go first? <laughs> Tumbleweed. The enthusiasm, eh? I'll, I'll start, shall I? I've watched oh, a new film on, this week. I went to the cinema and saw Dark Skies. I went uh, to quite a late... Well, it wasn't, it wasn't quite a late screen. It was nine o'clock screening, so it was quite dark. And I ended, Late for us. It's late for, for us, yeah. Usually going I, mean, I hate to sort of break it to you, but it's always dark in the cinema. Very <laughs> <No> good, Steve. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, Dark Sky. So it's um, a horror film. 
it's advertised all over the place with from the producers of Paranormal Activity, Insidious, and Sinister. So oh, it sort of sets the scene. You know what you're gonna you're gonna get from this kind of film. Uh, on, the director actually, um, Scott Charles Stewart. I don't think he's really done a horror film before. I know he's done Legion, um, which is about. Oh God, that was terrible. That was a pretty bad film. He's also done Priest, which I've not seen, but I haven't noticed he's on Love Film Instant at the moment, so I will watch that. But yeah, I've heard terrible things. About I've heard. I haven't heard great things about it either, actually. <laughs> But uh, that's the director, and that, those are the producers. So I think I did go in. I, I mean, I do like Paranormal Activity mm. um, as a series. I, Insidious, I quite enjoyed. Sinister, you know, we talked about it before. There were certain issues with it, but I still kind of enjoyed it. So I went into it not expecting to be blown away. I wasn't expecting to get The Exorcist, for example. Um, but it was, yeah, it was all right. It was quite good. Um, I guess to the, the scare tactics that they use in it. They're, they're all uh, you've seen them before basically if you watched Insidious if you watched Sinister if you've seen any of the Paranormal Activity films mm. it's it's exactly that's that kind of thing you've got stuff that's hiding in the shadows you know something that's there one minute gone the next you know there's a whole it's behind you pantomime sort of feel to the whole thing not that I mind too much and I've said it before but um as long as it's not overdone in a film, if they use it quite well, it's fine, you know. It, it did make me jump on a few times. It did kind of raise the, the, the tension, sort of prolong the suspense, if you like. And um, so they, they did make it work quite well. It's not actually about ghosts, this film. So it's uh, they're aliens. Um, so it's a little bit of a weird mix of something like uh, like Insidious. And then it's got kind of like shades of signs about it. Uh, you know the M Night Shyamalan film. Mm, yeah. So yeah. it's kind of yeah. It's, it's some of it is quite creepy. You know, there's the bit in Signs where uh, the alien walks past the video of the party. You've got the the little handheld camera. I've not seen Signs. Oh, All I know just, about Signs he's just is spoiled the beginning. The only scary part of Signs for you. <laughs> Did that spoil it? I thought. Okay, sorry. I, I know exactly what happened because I've seen the I've seen Jeff who lives at home and at the beginning of that Jeff is talking about signs. Well, the, you know, yeah, that's how he starts. So I know roughly what happens. Basically, uh, the first alien scene, I guess. You know it's aliens, but it's that first alien scene in Signs. Okay. It's like that, but for ninety minutes. So it doesn't really <laughs> the, the plot doesn't build up to anything particularly spectacular doesn't doesn't start very low either it just kind of hits a plateau quite early on and just continues at that pace so it's an all right film really the performances i guess are the best thing in it in particular uh jk simmons is just fantastic he's not in it that that much um he plays this knowledgeable uh ufo guy so he knows about all these the alien experiences that people are having all around the world and um he's just brilliant he doesn't play it like a nutter. So you kind of, the first impression of him, um, he's sort of on, he's on screen, he's wearing like a hat indoors and sunglasses and he looks a bit shifty and you go into his flat and he's got all like newspaper clippings on the wall and you think, okay, he's just going to be a weird guy. Um, mm. But the way that he plays it, he just makes everyone else in the film look bad because he's just such a brilliant actor. It's it's hard mm. to describe. I quite liked um, the the young kid in it as well, Dakota Goya. He's um, been in a couple of films that I've seen recently. He was in uh, Real Steel. He was Hugh Jackman's 
stunt in Real Steel. And he was pretty good at that. I, I, I quite like Real Steel. It knows exactly what sort of film it is and you know, mm. the performances are decent. And, and, and he's good in that. And he's good in this as well. He plays the sort of older brother. Um, but yeah, the whole plot is basically centred around these weird happenings that, occur, that this family are experiencing. So like in the trailer, you see loads of birds all hitting the house. There's a woman in the house and all. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it does a lot of that kind of thing. There's lots of just, you know, things happening in the kitchen. Like, say, if you've watched Paranormal Activity, you've seen it in every fucking Paranormal Activity film and every film that's spoofing Paranormal Activity. They all do the same thing. This doesn't really do it with any degree of irony. Um, it tries to play it quite mm. sincerely. But, like I say, if it's done well, it's okay, and it is done quite well. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's a... It's a good, decent horror film in the vein of those other films I keep mentioning. Um, so if you like those, you probably enjoy Dark Skies. I think any film that makes you run up the stairs just a little bit quicker when you're home and the lights are off is a good sign. You know. Yeah. So that's kind of what sort of film it is, really. Uh, how many films have you watched this week, Owen? Uh, I haven't done a, a count. I'd probably estimate about... Oh, probably... Uh, about ten. That's six. Not very good. That's week, not very, yeah. Six not very this good weekend. Week. Six week. Six, six this weekend, and then probably four during the week. That's that. It's just slacking. <laughs> yeah. He's um, sleeping. Yeah. That's what's happening, Steve. Any any other films you want to review this week, Owen? No, not re- not really review. I mean, I watched a couple that were quite good that I've not seen before. I watched um, A History of Violence, the the Cronenberg film. Which was really good. I, re- I mean, from the first few minutes of that film, I knew exactly that I was going to like it. Um, and it, it, you've seen it before, Owen? That was the first time I've seen it. It was. Re- I was really impressed with it. It did kind of tail off a little bit towards the end, I thought. Um, but otherwise, that was a good film. And I watched Serpico, the Al Pacino, uh, Sidney Lumet film, which I'd not seen before either, from 1973. So that's going to work its way into my decade in film article. Oh, is it? Oh, good, because yeah. I really like Serpico. Yeah, it was really good. Really enjoyed it. Okay. Who wants to hear a review of the biggest box office flop of all time? Me. Go on, <laughs> with it. Well, first of all, I'll briefly review uh, the original Red Door, because there's a new version out in the cinema, isn't there, or has been released recently yes. with... Um, you. That's the one. Thor. Yeah, Chris Hemsworth. Um, but no, I watched the original starring... Patrick Swayze of all people um, it's a story about um, America gets invaded by a coalition of Russia and Cuba I think and Patrick Swayze is sort of like a suppose a teenager um, or sort of late teens and ends up going into hiding with some friends to avoid being arrested and put into like a prison camp and ends up waging guerrilla warfare on the Russian Cuban people that are there and essentially it's, it's an entertaining film it's not great it's not bad it's worth watching I'm sure one of the rest of you must have seen it I've not actually no I've always thought it's just going to be a bit propagandist you know a bit like um, like a Rocky IV just without any real charm <laughs> there's, no because there's not, there's not really any propaganda it's just sort of Russia and Cuba invade and take over the United States Patrick Swayze doesn't like it because I think his dad is in the prison camp he might even kill his dad I can't quite remember so they just sort of try and take back their country there's no real 
kind of it's not really that political a film it's just you know yeah. an action film more well it's not quite an action film but it's interesting yeah. though that the, the the remake has changed it to North Korea hasn't it it's North well, is it North well, Korea invade in the remake well we're, uh, we're friends with Russia now so yeah it started off being China in the remake and then the studio decided they didn't want to annoy a lucrative market and then apparently at very kind of last minute the decision was cha- made to change it to North Korea because um, I read apparently the the guy who plays the nor- in the new one the guy who plays like the leader of the invading forces spent ages researching how Chinese troop commanders um, work and give commands and stuff like that and then he went no you've been North Korean now do any research on that no, no, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, no. Apparently, they they it was meant to be China in the new one, and they bottled it basically. Uh, so instead, the soldiers were malnourished farmers with equipment from the nineteen sixties. Instead, yes, yeah. yes, that's correct. That's a, which, but I'd rather watch that actually. Thinking about it, that would be good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so on to the biggest box office flop as all ta- of all time. As says so in the Guinness Book of World Records, so you can't argue with that. This is a film that uh, made Carolco pictures go bankrupt, uh, ruined Gina Davis's career, pretty much ended her career, and ended up putting a halt on any pirate movies being made until Pirates of the Caribbean. It's Cutthroat Island from 1905. <laughs> and virtually everything about this film justifies its title of worst film ever made. <laughs> it cost $98 million um, at the time, and I think it, that, that they hardly work it out is the worst ever, is that they you know adjust the interest or inflation or whatever. Mm-hmm. It, it grossed $10 million. Ooh. It made a tenth of what it... Um, Ouch. Yeah. Um, wow. So it debuted at number thirteen in the U.S. box office. Ouch! Uh, yes, so basically, no one made a pirate movie until Curse of the Black Pearl in two thousand and three. Okay, but is how how bad is it, then, it's Steve? Very bad. I'll get I'll get the positive out of the way first. Like the actual sets and everything look really good. Like it's okay. believable, considering it's in 1995, so they haven't got sort of big special effects or anything. Mm. Price knows what they spent 100 million on, because there's not that many big special effects in it. But you know, they've got believable-looking pirate ships, and they've got like a big treasure island kind of place, and they've made Port Royal in Jamaica look like you know a 17th-century pirate port kind of place, and it look, mm-hmm. and it looks good. But the acting, the plot, and the script and the dialogue is just abysmal. Um, and it just doesn't work at all. It's just terrible on every level. And the worst <laughs> thing is, is obviously I'm a bit too young to remember mm. Gina Davis at her peak. But it's genuinely ruined her career. She won an Oscar in. 19- I like Gina Davis, yeah, but she won an Oscar in 1988 uh, for Best Supporting Actress for The Accidental Tourist. She was nom- okay. she was nominated for Best Actress for Thelma and Louise. Mm, yeah, for, she's for, great in that. For another Oscar. She's in Beetlejuice. Yeah, she's um, in 
She's in the fly, yeah. The fly, yeah. And then oh. it seems like she gets married to where is it? Rennie Harlan. That's the, the director. Yep. And he gets <laughs> a he gets her to co-produce Cutthroat Island and The Long Kiss Goodnight. Now I don't know anything about The Long Kiss Goodnight. Um, but she got nominated. Savagely underrated, in my opinion. She got nominated for a Saturn Award for Best Actress. But um, yes, Cutthroat Island. Her husband then he managed to convince the director to cast her as a leading lady. To try that, her husband was was the director. Anyway, there was somebody. It must have been the studio <laughs> or the producer. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, her husband convinced them to cast her as the leading lady in this film to try and make her sort of a bankable action movie star and she's not she's terrible she can't she can't pull off any of the fight she's the main she's not like Kira Knightley in the Pirates of the Caribbean film she's like the second main character she's the lead character in this film it all revolves around her Morgan Adams the pirate she's playing um, female pirate captain it just doesn't work she can't pull off the kind of dialogue that she needs to pull off in this film she can't pull off a convincing action scene and it's just, you know, she's just not very... There's one example of a scene where they're sort of escaping the authorities in Port Royal, and this is meant to be some kind of witty line, I suppose, or some kind of joke. And she basically barrels away through a load of shops, stores, and wrecks them all as she's running to try and catch up with Matthew Modine's character, who's, you know, helping her translate this map and find where this treasure is. And she ends up sort of falling next to this. I'll have to visit those shops again when I've got more time. And that's meant to be a joke. <laughs> and you just think... Obviously uh, in delivery. <laughs> and, yeah, she's very monotone throughout the whole film as well. Oh. Um, yeah, so basically since... I mean, she was making Cutthroat Island and A Long Kiss Goodnight about the same time. Uh, so once A Long Kiss Goodnight came out in 1996, she has made four films... Three of them were Stuart Little films. One was a film called Accidents Happen. Ouch. So it, it, it literally ruined her career. And she had won an Oscar and was nominated for another one. Wow. Um, Matthew Modine is... <laughs> yeah, Matthew Modine is also... He's done nothing. ...is also terrible. Um, he... <laughs> he's, I suppose he's meant to be playing a Jack... Sparrow kind of character, kind of a, a cocky, you know, eccentric person. And he just can't pull that off at all. Apparently, Tom Cruise, Keanu Reeves, Liam Neeson, Jeff Bridges, Ralph Fiennes, uh, Charlie Sheen and Michael Keaton all turned down his role before he took it. <laughs> Ouch. So he was, he was like seventh choice. Uh, yeah, yeah, it doesn't really scream bankable star, does it? Matthew Modine, yeah. Even then, I mean, definitely not now, but even then, it didn't sound. Even that's what I mean. Yeah, no, that's that. That was poor planning. The, the best bit about the whole film, though, probably sounds like Oliver Reed was originally cast for a cameo, um, but was fired after getting into a bar fight and for mooning at Gina Davis. Good lad. Everybody loves it. Yeah, I do love oh, proper old school drunken British actors who just basically drank for 12 hours a day, shot a couple of scenes, and then drank even more afterwards. I miss them. I miss that kind of actor. So, yeah, I've suffered for two hours long it is as well, and it is just terrible. Wow. 
Oh, um, you've suffered for us, Stephen. We write, appreciate it. Writing something for the website about it, but yeah, um, it, it's just basically messed up the careers of so many people who probably had some talent. Yeah, I'm happy, I'm just, I'm just looking at Rennie Harlan's um, uh, filmography as a director. He's doing Hercules. I didn't realise it was him doing it. Which you know, Hercules is going to star the Rock. The Rock. Yeah, and Rennie Harlan's name? directing it. Rennie Harlan's directing it. Yeah, Hercules. It's got um, the guy who plays Lovejoy in it. Yeah, Ian McShane. Ian McShane. Yeah, uh, I think he plays Hercules. I think he plays Zeus or something. But um, so there's that to look forward to. He's also doing the film. Die Hard Two. It did Die Hard Two. Yeah. Yeah. That was before Cutthroat Island, though, wasn't it? That was. Yeah. You did Cliffhanger as well. So you did. Ouch. You, uh, you went from Cliffhanger to Cutthroat Island as well. Ooh. Yeah, Cliffhanger's not great, though. Well, that's what I've <laughs> It's got John Lithgow as an awesome villain. <laughs> but it's like you make Cliffhanger, which was, you know, it was a bit of a kick in for Stallone, wasn't it, Cliff? Yeah. And then he went, yeah. I know how I'll turn this round. Oh. <laughs> Pirate <laughs> film. Yeah. Oh, thanks, Steve. We appreciate you plumbing the depths. I think next, for us. I think next on the list is. Um, the Alamo stars Dennis Quaid. So like, oh god, that's that. Yeah, the really expensive western that's got no one of note in it. How the hell did they make that? Yeah, yeah. Can't wait to hear that one because I love a good western as well. But this, I don't think this is a good western. <laughs> Doesn't sound like it. No. He <laughs> also made De- Deep Blue Sea, Rennie Harlan. So. Oh dear. He he he's, he did a film. He's doing a film this year about the Dyatlov Pass incident, which is my favourite Wikipedia entry. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, Owen knows what I'm talking about. I do. Yeah. Which one is that then? What one isn't that? Go on. Oh, Enlighten oh, us. It, it, it'll take it's too long. It would. Okay. We'll send you a link afterwards. But it What's take... it called again? The Dyatlov Pass incident. Okay. Okay. Right, Jerry. What films have you watched this week? Um, the film I want to talk about is Into the Wild, which um, is fairly high up on the IMDb list, I believe, on the top yep. 250. Uh, it was given four stars by Mr. Ebert. I checked, seeing as he, we were talking about his his reviews, etc., which is the, the highest, for those who haven't read his reviews, that's the highest accolade he gives. Um, written and directed by Sean Penn, well, adapted from a novel by Sean Penn, and stars Emile Hirsch, who I don't actually, bizarrely, he's not really done anything after this. He was in. He was in um, Killer Joe last year. Yeah, but he's he's not had he was not had a big role. So, do you know what I mean? Mm. This is this is him. He leads this, and he, he is yeah. kind of he's the leader man. He, he I don't want to say he carries it, but you know he's very strong in this. Mm. And okay. he, he then did Speed Racer. He was speed in Speed Racer. Well, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. But after that, you know, he's done sort of supporting role in Milk and, and Killer Joe, and he was in Savages last year. He, he, oh yeah, he is fantastic in this. I mean, he is really, really good. It's a really mature performance. Like he 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 captures this character very well. Um, for those who don't know about Into the Wild, it's the story of uh, Christopher McCandless, who sold he sold all his possessions, gave his life savings to charity. Uh, after he graduated, he was, you know, he was could have got into Harvard Law and decided he didn't want that. So he he sold everything and just went off and lived in, you know, on the road and wandered around with the goal of um, going to Alaska and living off the land. 
completely on his own, and he, you know, it's the story of his travels and his his time in Alaska. And this was in 1992. He ends up in Alaska, mm. and it's it's told in a sort of non chronological format. So it, it's him arriving in Alaska first, and then it goes back two years, and it follows his journey sort of across the U.S. Uh, and how you know why he started out on it, and, and his journey across the, the country, meeting all these different people. And there's there's a lot of different people that come into his life, you know, and and um, I think Hal Hal Holbrook, who played uh, an old guy that he meets, got um, a nomination for Best Supporting Actor at the Oscars for this. But as a real great sort of supporting cast, Marcia Gay Harden, William Hurt, uh, Gina Malone, who, who's pretty decent actually around this period, uh, Catherine Keener, who is the love interest in Forty Year Old Virgin. Uh, Vince Vaughn, Kristen Stewart looking very, very young and still being an annoying twat of a woman. <laughs> um, God, she is awful. She just, even in this, she just does that one fucking expression, that one tone. Oh, God. I hate Kristen Stewart. I, in fact, if I was doing a, a star rating for the, like, or a points rating for this film, I would knock at least two off just for her presence. <laughs> um, Zach Galifianakis is in it as well, a little role. Uh, which is an early role for him, but um, it's based on a true story, and you you probably know how it ends. Uh, if you're you know you'll probably be aware of what happened. I won't spoil it in case anyone hasn't, but it, it became a very personal project for Sean Penn. This, uh, and I believe it was his his debut as a director, um, and you know he's he's quite a. Oh no, it, it wasn't his his debut his debut as a director. Sorry, I stand corrected. Uh, he's not made anything since, bizarrely, but this was a real sort of personal project for him, and it's very lovingly made, if that if that makes sense. There's real care and attention to it. It's it's interesting. I'm not sure it's worthy of being sort of number 160-ish on the IMDb top 250, because you know if I was if I was arbitrarily ranking films, mm. I wouldn't place it above the likes of uh, The Graduate or A Beautiful Mind or well, Rocky, it's above Rocky, for instance. This is not as good as Rocky. It's not It's not above The Exorcist. Um, you know, it's above... We're just going to name all the films it's not. <laughs> just just thinking back, you know, there was, there was a lot of films that I remember looking, you know, yeah. looking where it was and thinking, no it's, no, it's not that good. You know, it's probably better than Harry Potter Part 2, which for some reason is on, in the IMDb Top 2. Yeah, no, that uh, means I've got to watch that at some point. I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm waiting it out. I'm waiting out that Harry Potter film until it drops out of 250. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna stare it out. <laughs> um, Jerry, this sounds to an old cynic like me. This sounds like a film which would wind me up with its preachiness and worthiness. Oh no, look at him giving away stuff and going to live off. The... It sounds horribly pretentious. Assure me that it isn't in as briefly as you can. There is an element of that. Right. <laughs> I think. Penn does it in a way that it seems as though that's being pushed and then it's shown that actually that's not the right way to go. So there is sort okay. of a journey as the film goes on, which I think is, is a strength. It's, okay. it's good without ever being great, but it's interesting, you know, and, and come on, let's be honest, it appeals to all of us to just go and fucking be like the manliest man ever and go and hunt deer and live in Alaska and that kind of thing. That, that, you know, that's a cool thing. But um, it, it's very, it's, it's interesting it's very different to a lot of films that come out as well. You know, it's it's quite contemplative. But yeah, I, I can't really give you any details about 
there is a definite change in the sort of preachiness okay. and, the, and the message that's going on. Okay. It's it's right behind my neighbour Totoro on IMDb Top 250. Okay. And it's nowhere near that level. Is my is my the way I would like to summarise it. And I don't know if anybody else has seen it, but it's nowhere near that good. It's, I've it's, not, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Okay. Okay. Um, James. Um, yeah. Uh, briefly, I just want to say we're going to kind of pick up on Film Four Studio Ghibli. Uh, season in our next episode but I did watch My Neighbour Totoro with my daughter um, earlier today and she actually sat and watched it all with me which was for a new film that's that's actually really good and I, I really enjoyed it but I'll talk more about that next week um, the two films I do want, quickly want to talk about are the first one is To, Killing Mo- to Kill a Mockingbird the 1962 film watch this for a couple of reasons first one is it is in the IMDb Top 250 it's number 70 at the moment um, and also, uh, I've put off writing my decade in film 1962 piece for far too long. So this was the last one I was watching before I write up my article tomorrow. Um, and yes, it is going to make it in there. Uh, basically, those you don't know, it's based on the Pulitzer Prize winning uh, novel by Harper Lee. Um, stars Gregory Peck as Atticus Finch, who is a lawyer in Depression era a southern state of America. I don't think it's mentioned exactly which one it is, but it's where prejudice and racism and uh, segregation is rife and kind of normal. Um, he defends a black man who is ba- completely innocent of a rape charge. Um, uh, and he's also bringing up his two kids uh, on his own. And actually, it's quite interesting. I thought To Kill a Mockingbird was about... The court case uh, was about Atticus Finch defending a man against prejudice. Um, but that's really that's the centerpiece of the film. But there is a lot of a lot of the film. I think at least the first hour before you even get to the court case, and it is just setting the scene really slowly. Um, and it's if you watch a film like this, it's it just really really struck me. You'd think this was only. 70 years ago that people were treating people like this and I I know yeah we know that there we know that there is still racism we know that there was big problems in the deep south in America but when you sit down and watch such a carefully layered and scripted and well-performed film such as this it, it kind of really just jabs you in the ribs and says can you believe how shit humans are to each other sometimes? And it really, it really made me think. Uh, you know, so there's that level, but as a film, it works really well. It hasn't, to me, it didn't date at all. The only things that had dated are the um, the children's performances, in a sense, because they are a little bit stagey because that was the way that children acted in films back then. It's very, very... uh, No one really caught naturalistic children's performances until quite recently, I think. It's it's been far more a modern development. So the children are very good in their roles, but they are very... You know, they, they speak as if they're acting, rather than as if they're, they're acting naturally. Um, Gregory Peck is fantastic. I'm a big, big fan of Gregory Peck, and... He's uh, he ca- this came out in the same year as Cape Fear, um, two absolutely brilliant Peck performances of a man standing up against 
everything around him that seems to be wrong and pushing against him. He delivers a fantastic courtroom speech. Um, yeah, Peck is brilliant. The direction is... What I would say about the direction is it's adequate. It, there's nothing exciting about the direction there. You know, it, this film's strength is in its story and, and in its performances. Everything else is there just to allow those to breathe. It's also famous. It's Robert Duvall's um, screen debut. He plays a character called Boo Radley, which... I now realise where the band got the name from. Um, but yeah, he plays this kind of mysterious character, uh, the Boo Radley, who um, the children are obsessed with, and that adds a kind of subtext, and it's a kind of subplot beyond the the the, the trial. I, I really would recommend watching it. It is a, If you haven't seen it, it's a, it's a really, really well-made film. I'd say it's not quite up to the level of 12 Angry Men, but it is a fascinating insight into American justice. Um, and, and, and like I say, just about that whole, that whole era. Um, I don't know if anyone else has seen it. No, it's on TV this week though, and I'm recording it because I've not. Oh, is it? Okay. Oh, if it's on TV, then yeah. If if this is out in time and you hear it, then definitely watch it. The other film I do very quickly want to talk about is a documentary that was out at the very beginning of this year. Uh, It was released on New Year's Day actually um, in the cinemas called McCullin. It's available on Blinkbox at the moment. That's the reason I watched it. So I've got a few free rentals through Blinkbox. So I had a look at it. It's a documentary about the war photographer Don McCullin. it's basically a retrospective documentary. Wow. This was also hugely, hugely powerful. I don't know if any of you have seen Don McCullen's war photography before. You may well have seen it and not realised that it was Don McCullen, because uh, there's a few very famous images there. He, but he the, was the one where the, the injured soldier on the chopper, is that him? Yes, yeah, that's one of them, yeah. Um, one of his really famous ones is of a shell-shocked soldier, just a portrait of a shell-shocked soldier. It's, um, now, this documentary it is not for oh, the ease, oh, not the easily offended, but the easily sensitive or something like that, because basically you see a lot of his photos, and his photos are a very, very real depiction of war. Um, so you see dead people. Um, he has a lot of death, hasn't he? Yeah, he has, and it's really interesting because he's interviewed all the way through this film, and he talks about how he always wanted to be a photographer, and how he, he's very honest in talking about how war zones appealed to him, the adventure, um, you know, going out to war zones, and like you were saying uh, um, just now about Into the Wild, you know, that is a very manly thing to go out and prove yourself among soldiers and um, you know, escaping enemy fire and stuff like that. It sounds, you know, it sounds very exciting. But he talks very honestly about the fact that quite often he's taking photographs and he's thinking to himself, do I have the right to take these photographs? Um, And he he clearly has suffered a lot from this dichotomy of, on one hand, wanting to show the world what is really happening in these war zones. And he's basically been in every major war zone from the 1960s onwards until the 80s um, when he was banned from going to the Falklands War um, by the British military. Uh, and he saw that as a sign that he'd been doing his job too well, basically. And, and at that point, he gave up. Uh, and he he works with charities and he works with um, protest groups and things like that now, but he doesn't, 
he doesn't go out to wars, but he was in Vietnam, he was in Cambodia, uh, I believe he was in Korea towards the end of Korea as well. Um, in Africa, he went to the Congo, and it's it's just a fascinating story of a man who has lived ten lives um, and hearing some of his stories. But he's it's fascinating. He's never boasting. He's never he's never talking about these stories as a boast or um, to challenge other people. Uh, he's talking about these stories purely because he's like his photographs. He's a truthful man, uh, and he wants to explain how and why he got to where he is. It is a fascinate, It's fascinating for anyone who is interested in photography. He talks about. He talks a bit about why he photographs things, how certain photographs were, how he got started in photography. But then a lot of it is about um, the moral journey of a war photographer, and you know, do they have the right to even tell these truths? And he tells this story of going into a house where he sees two dead bodies on the floor in a war zone. He starts photographing the bodies. And then the family come into the house and catch it's, and you're just listening to him, and you are he's got a fantastic way of talking about his work, um, which draws you in, and it's combined with these incredible images um, which are constantly on screen, and also some um, amateur taken video film footage of the time as well it's It's a fascinating documentary, but it's very, very hard going um, and I'd only recommend it for those with a strong constitution like i say but the documentary isn't shocking in a sense that it's trying to shock you it's just showing you things that he's done uh, and it's the same when he's being interviewed he's not trying to shock you. he's not telling these stories to shock you. just said this is what happened um but it's a it's a fascinating documentary for those who are interested in um in how again a bit like to kill a mockingbird man's inhumanity um, Does it focus on on particularly on one conflict? Because I, I seem to remember him doing some stuff in uh, Northern Ireland, which I've seen. No, uh, no, it it, kind of, it is a, quite a chronological look at the conflicts he was involved with, and there's there is a probably about five ten minute section on the work he did in Northern Ireland. There's a he said he would it was really interesting. He'd go into the pubs and he knew that at three o'clock kicking out time. Um, trouble would kick off and he'd just go out into the street and photograph and there's this amazing photograph of the uh, the Northern Irish police preparing to charge and he catches them mid-charge and he said he didn't even notice at the time and there's just this woman in a doorway next to the charge looking on in horror uh, and that's all there's, there's a few photographs like that. there's a brilliant photograph quite early on which I think is um, uh, it was the the Cyprus Civil War of a group of kind of ragtag soldiers with um, guns. They're all tr- they've all got their sights and guns trained on something. And then there's just this dog in the middle of it looking directly at McCullen himself, completely away from it. And he has this wonderful habit of catching the very small details. Um, and it's those small details, I think, which actually bring these pictures to life. So, yeah, that's that. That's okay. me done. Okay. Um, <clears throat> on to this week's triple bill, first triple bill in a while, and it is our summer preview. Uh, we were leaving out deliberately a few films that were going to be fairly obvious to be in pretty much anyone's summer preview. So I think it was Superman, um, Superman, Star Trek, and uh, Iron Man 3. Well, technically, Iron Man 3 seems to be out next week, so it isn't really a summer film, but 
No, it's yeah. a bit early. Yeah. I didn't realise that. But anyway, I'm going to kick us off. I've gone, I've gone comedy. I've gone comedy heavy because there seems to be a lot of good comedies out this summer, or potentially good comedies. Uh, first one is 21 and Over, starring no one you've probably ever heard of. Um, <laughs> so we can skip over that straight away. But from the trailer and you know from the, all the promotional stuff, it seems to be it's written by the, the the writers of The Hangover. I noticed they haven't put part two and part three on there, so <laughs> I'm hoping that the people they've just written The Hangover, these people they didn't have anything to do with the sequels because um, The Hangover was a funny film. I don't. Yeah. Any of your? I'll give you that. Yeah. But two and well, I haven't seen three yet. It's not out, but two was just shit. Yeah. Anyway, this one is about a lad called Jeff Chang, and he's about to turn twenty-one. Um, but it so happens that it's the night before um, an interview he's got. But his friends won't really take that excuse not to celebrate their mate's twenty-first, so they take him out, and like Superbad, like The Hangover. Things don't quite go according to plan. They fall into all kinds of different misadventures, which uh, it looks funny from the trailer, and obviously when it's going to be like a 15 or an 18, they can't show the best bits in a trailer on the telly. It's strange, you can't... It's hard trying to talk and sort of spread out a discussion and make it sort of last a while about films that haven't come out yet because you don't know anything about them, really. Um, the next film I am reviewing... Uh, not reviewing, is previewing is this is the end uh starring seth rogan jonah hill um and jane franco as themselves in a situation where the world has come to an end uh, again from a trailer it looked very funny seth rogan have you seen the latest longer trailer no i don't think i have the longer one is where shit is happening that you actually start to see a lot of the world ending stuff. No, I've seen And that actually got me very excited at the, now. At the end of the trailer that I've seen, there's a brief bit of that, but it's mostly uh, uh, Seth Rogen and um, James Franco in some kind of bunker, and then a little bit of the the main cast. Yeah, no, the... the um, What I would say, actually, is, no, if, if you haven't seen the long trailer and you're planning to go and see it, don't watch the long trailer, because I think it gives away quite a lot, and as is often the case with comedy trailers, there's a worry that all they're using all the best jokes in there. Um, but I'm, I'm hugely excited by this. There's a lot of people that I really like involved in this. And I, I cannot wait to J- see this James film. Franco seems to have quite a range of acting. He has to do comedy and more serious yeah. stuff. And, and also um, Breakers. Oh, I didn't even know it was James Franco in Spring Breakers. I, I looked him up the next day. Oh, wow, that was... Fuck me, Spring Breakers is terrible. Te- I want to get this on record. It is the worst film I've seen this year. Do not listen to all these wannabe hipsters who reckon it's good. It's not. It's a bad film. Um, but this is the end. It's got Sorry. A, a massive cast of everyone playing themselves. It's got Emma Watson and Michael Sarah and Jason Segel and Paul Rudd and uh, the Backstreet Boys are in it. So Yeah, Rihanna's in it. Sold. Yeah. <laughs> and the um, final comedy in my summer preview is um, World's End, which is the final part of the Blood and Cornetto trilogy by Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright. 
bit of crossover here then, because I'll pick that yeah. as well. Uh, Have we got a trailer for that yet? I've no, I tried to find one today and can't find it. It's definitely out in August. No one uh, seems to know much about it at all, do they? They've been very good at it. They've kept all it quiet, I, haven't they? All, yeah. all I know is it's out on the 14th of August uh, in the UK. It's about five childhood friends who go home to um, do a legendary pub crawl from sort of their hometown. One of them still lives in the hometown. The rest of them have moved away. Um, but the night becomes a struggle. And according to the tagline... Not just theirs, but humanities. Yeah, um, it's got Simon Pegg, obviously, and Nick Frost, uh, Paddy Constantine, Constantine uh, and Martin Freeman. Uh, yes, I mean, excited yeah, for that. It should be fucking brilliant, shouldn't it? Let's be honest. Considering everything that they've seemed to have done together has been brilliant. So, talking Sean the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and Spaced um, has been brilliant so far. I've got high hopes for this. Yeah, and Edgar Wright did Scott Pilgrim, which is brilliant as well, so, yes. And he's doing the Ant-Man film, which I'm And he's doing Ant-Man as well, yes. So, yes, that one is probably the one I'm looking forward to most out of those three. And why not? Yeah, I think it'll be really good. I mean, um, like you said, everything they've done, all three of them together, has been brilliant. So, there's no reason this should be any different, I don't think. No. I guess the, the, the only problem, I guess, that might come from it is... There'll be quite a lot of expectation on it. People are going to expect it to be as good mm. as Shaun of the Dead and uh, Hot Fuzz. But, you yeah. know... Yeah. They've had that the, problem before with Hot Fuzz, and in my opinion it wasn't as good as Shaun of the Dead, but it was, it was bloody good. Yeah, I mean, it's still a really good comedy, one of the, perhaps one of the best British comedies anyway. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think, I think that it, even if it's not as good as those, it's still going to be a really good film. Yeah, I mean, like, Hot Fuzz is one of those films that it's on all the time, and you, you end up watching it countless times, and it's still funny. I think that's mm-hmm. the best phrase you can give it, is it stays funny. Yeah. Yeah. I, I am genuinely excited for this film. Like, it's, it should be really, really good. And I can't really see how it's not going to be good. Well, I suppose that might be in part, though, because we've not found out anything about it yet, really. We've got no trailer, we've got no... They're teasers, we've got no none of them doing any promo work about it or any kind of quotes about it or anything. By now, you're usually getting that kind of thing ramped up. Mm. But, I mean, the cast and crew inspire confidence, don't they? I mean, you sort yeah. of have faith in them to deliver. Yeah. I mean, Rosamund I... Pike is in it, and uh, that's not even put me off yet. She was awful in... Uh, <laughs> uh, what was that? Jack Reacher. Jack Reacher, yeah. She was terrible in that. But that's not even put me off it yet, so I'm quite looking forward to it. Okay. Oh, and we've had some crossover then, so you can kick on with your remaining two. Okay. Well, I mean, the first one I'm going to talk about then is due out in a couple of weeks as well, which I didn't realise we were excluding films from April. But I, I didn't I say think, no, I didn't to be think fair. April was summer, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> all right well it's, it's it is at the moment so yeah okay well evil dead is the first one i'm going for um i were i mean i'm not sure i wasn't sure about it to start with when i first heard they were remaking it i was sort of outright against it then i sort of warmed to it a little bit and thought mm, if they can do something slightly different with it and use the same elements but make a good film then you know then perhaps it'll perhaps it'll work mm. but then you get people like bruce campbell who came out and initially he came out and said doesn't want anything to do with it 
Uh, so it's not it's not his project. He's not involved. They haven't asked him to be in it, so he's not gonna he's not gonna do it. Yeah. Um, but he, I've since seen comments from him praising the film, saying good things about it. Yeah. Um, as well as Sam Raimi's involved with. Well, I don't know if he's actually involved with the making of it, but he might have been sort of one of these consultants or something. But even yeah. he sort of said that it's, you know it's actually a pretty good film, and there is a lot of positive talk about it. You know, lots of reviews on the internet saying it's a good film. Um. Because, I mean, the worry with remakes anyway, as particularly of horror films, I guess, is they're either going to discard too much of the original film and just make it a generic piece of shit movie like Friday the 13th remake, uh, for yeah. example, or they're just going to go too far and try and add to the legend and make it something like uh, the Halloween remake, where they just think this Halloween film was so good, they're just going to put all their fanboyism into it and make it into something bigger and better, and so, most of the time it doesn't work. But it seems like they've kind of found the right balance with Evil Dead. You know, they've just changed little things about it, you know, making the main character, instead of being Ash, they've changed it to uh, Jane Levy, I think. And she's... um, So, you know, they've changed the gender, perhaps changed the story a little bit. I mean, it's hard to talk about it because I've not seen it yet. But I know that, Mm. you know, they've just changed... It seems seems like, from what I've read, they've changed enough to give it its own identity, um, but still make it feel like Evil Dead. So... It's it's got me quite excited to see it now, so I'm really looking forward to it. And I hope my piddly little Cineworld cinema shows it, because um, I only saw one of my winter preview films. <laughs> oh dear! <laughs> yeah, it was terrible. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So that, that's my second film, I guess, after uh, World's End. My final film, I think there'll be crossover. I hope there's crossover. Uh, it is, of course, Alpha Papa, the Alan Partridge movie. I, uh, yeah, I left it off left my list purposes. knowing that someone else would pick it because okay. I, I cannot wait for that to no, come out. No, me neither. It's due out on uh, my wedding anniversary, actually, Friday the 16th of August. So oh, that's going to be... That's romantic. <laughs> yeah, I am dragging her to see that. We are going on opening day for that. I'm sorry. But uh, very romantic, yes. But um, yeah, I mean, it's directed by uh, Declan Lowry, who I guess is most known for his TV work. He's done a lot of TV episodes of different things as well as TV films. Hmm. He has worked on uh, Alan Partridge previously. He did the, uh, I don't know whether you saw it, but Open Books with Martin Bryce, which was one of the things they filmed for Sky Atlantic uh, last year, which was very funny. Um, and it's also, it's got uh, Amanda Iannucci involved in it, which is a good sign. It's got Neil and Rob Gibbons, uh, the two brothers who sort of worked with Coogan and Iannucci to write the I Partridge book, which was also very funny. So there's a lot of talented cast members there. Obviously, Steve Coogan, uh, and I'm a massive fan of his work. It, I mean, it was it did seem for a little while, didn't it? Like, he he wanted to move away from Partridge. Like, he'd kind of... Yeah. He wanted to be Hollywood Steve Coogan, if you like. Yeah. Um, but I think it's kind of... It, not, I'm not saying he's failed, really. I think he's been in some very successful films, and he's been very funny in a few of those roles as well. Yeah, but I'm glad he's come back to. He was never going to be a Hollywood leading man, though, was he? No, um, no. But yeah, yeah, he made some good films. He made some poor films. Um, but yeah, like I think he's, I think he's happier in himself now. I think mm. he fit, obviously he's proved what he needs to prove outside of Partridge, and he feels comfortable going back to Partridge now, and and we can all rejoice because exactly. Partridge is one of my favourite. 
comedy creations of the last 20 years. I just love Partridge, yes. I mean, I love um, Steve Coogan anyway. I think before yeah. Partridge, it, was just, it just completely changed everyone's perception of him, didn't it? Because before then, people yeah. saw him as like Paul Carf or Pauline Carf. Yeah. And then Partridge came along and just, he was no longer Steve Coogan as yeah. Paul or Pauline Carf. He was just yeah. Adam Partridge. So That's you can it. see why he wanted to distance himself from it, give him yeah. a bit of breathing space, I suppose. And he is, I suppose he is now seen back to, you know, people see him as Steve Coogan, as Alan Partridge. Yeah. Which is, I imagine, his intention all along anyway. That's what yeah. he wanted to achieve. So, yeah, but I'm, no, I'm glad that he's not completely retired the character. And now, because of, you know, mid-morning matters, when that first came back mm. to Foster's comedy, that was just a massive turning point, I think. Yeah. And bringing it to Sky Atlantic and the work, like I say, on I, I Partridge, the book, um... Down the really audio by Partridge, by the way. You have to get that. If nobody's got that. Yes. I've got the audio oh, book, oh, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Although, I made the mistake of listening to it in my car and nearly crashed on multiple occasions. <laughs> <laughs> it's myself laughing. Yeah. I do just want to say, um, on the Twitter earlier today, we asked uh, people for their the ones they're looking forward to, and at Andy underscore Alcock said that Alpha Papa is the film he's waited most of his life for. Mm. Uh, and yeah, I kind of agree with that. He's got um, another film out, The Look of Love, as well, which is like the Paul Raymond. Which I saw yeah, in Glasgow. Yeah. Epic. yeah. It's very good. It's very good. Um, I did say at the time, there were times, though, where it felt, um, because of the character, it, it, you just see elements of Partridge in the character. Um, but I think that's because of the type of people that Coogan plays in some of these biopics. It, also, Tony, uh, his um, Tony Wilson yeah. at times in Twenty Four Hour Party People. There were elements of punches that, and you and you get the impression actually this is because these are, these are the type of people that Coogan has kind of worked his way up in his career with and come across. And so he built that into Partridge, and it's not. I've you know I've come to realise now it's not him doing an Alan Partridge impression. It's the fact that Alan Partridge himself is based on a lot of these kind of mm. semi, you know, successful but insecure people that he's come across. So I, 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 I now recognise it not as him doing Alan... Which, in a way, just goes to show you how successful a character Alan Partridge is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's because... You're right, right. I think it's because he's um, made up of bits of, you know, this character, and he's made up of bits of this mm. presenter and stuff, and... That's why everything reminds you of Partridge because it's, yeah. it's just a brilliant character. Uh, it's just fantastic, of like taking all these different elements and turning it into an identifiable character. Yeah. Not so you think of Partridge as a bit like Steve Wright in the afternoon. You know, you don't think of that. You think no. he's like Partridge, which is genius. Yeah. All right, James. What are your films to look out for this summer? Okay, my films to look out for this summer are the first one. Okay, so last year, one of the biggest films of the summer was directed by Joss Whedon, made over a billion dollars, was made for about 200 million, I think. Huge Marvel ensemble. So, what's Joss Whedon going to do to follow that up? Um, A black and white, very low budget Shakespearean adaptation of Much Ado About Nothing that he filmed at his house with some of his friends over a couple of weeks. And I cannot wait for it. Um, I don't know if anyone else has ever read or uh, much ado about nothing at school or something like that. People only ever seem to read Shakespeare at school. I've never known anyone just read a Shakespeare play um, for fun. Um, 
but I don't know if anyone knows about that or saw the the Kenneth Branagh mid nineties version which had kind of Keanu Reeves and Denzel Washington <laughs> and lots of other people in bit of um but it is Shakespeare's most cryptic and um almost convoluted but in a good way romantic comedy it's it basically is the original smart ironic romantic comedy and in the hands of Joss Whedon that just makes me even more excited he's got a lot of his usual actors around him pretty much everyone who's ever been in his stuff is in this um so Amy Acker plays uh Beatrice you've got Nathan Fillion in it you've got uh Alexis Denisoff um the basically the main part uh the main body of the the story is that Beatrice and Benedict uh Benedict are constantly at each other's throats but secretly they kind of fancy each other that kind of thing um there's all sorts of intrigue and romance and things like that and what I love about this is actually Wedden's been doing Shakespearean readings for years and getting his actor friends to come and do readings at his house and stuff like that because that's what you can do when you're <laughs> Joss Wedden. I'm so jealous. Um, and then he just said to, he sent out a call to his friend said, who can spare a couple of weeks and didn't tell them what he was doing. They turned up and he kind of cast them as they turn up um, and then just filmed it and then got to put it out there. I mean, how fucking cool is that? That you can, that he can. I'm just so pleased that he's in, now in a place because I've been a fan of his for a long, long time, and I'm so pleased that he's finally in a place where he can do things like that. Um, the trailer for this looks really good. It looks like there's actually some really great striking photography, so it could be a chance to see the more photographic side of Josh Sweden um, rather than the the smart scripty side of him. So that's another reason I'm very excited about it. Um, I, I think it's going to be really, really good. I'm, I'm very excited about that. Um, so my second choice, and my, my other two are two sequels. Uh, the first one is the sequel to my favourite Pixar film, uh, which is Monsters, Inc. And Monsters University is the sequel. Very excited about it. I love Toy Story. I love Wall-E. I love Up. Um, but I think all round in terms of accessibility, in terms of fun, in terms of humour, and in terms of actually a genuine like a self-contained story, Monsters, Inc. is my favourite Pixar film, without a doubt. Bold words, James. Mm. I know, I know, huge words, but I, I genuinely mean that. I, I think it has got absolutely everything. Um, it is undoubtedly a great film. And yes. I'm not going to lie, I only left it off my list because you picked it. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a little bit of horse trading going on before this, um, but with that, there is that note of caution where I think Monsters Inc. is a perfect self-contained story, and I have got ever so. This is on my list because I'm really excited about it, and I'm also really excited about it because my daughter is probably is going to be of the age where I can take her to the cinema and she'll sit and watch a film with me. And this is going to be the first time I get to do that. And she likes Monsters, Inc. So I'm very excited from a personal point of view. But I have got... I've got this note of reservation about Pixar starting to seem appear to be relying on sequels. Um, and I don't think that's a good direction. It's a di- Well, put it this way, it's a direction that worries me. This week we saw that they announced that they're doing a Finding Nemo a uh, sequel called Finding Dory and it just seems like we're getting into the 
stage of franchises with them, especially as Brave. I, I liked Brave, but it didn't seem to do as well as everyone thought it would. Um, a lot of people weren't too, and it almost feels like Pixar have gone back and gone, right now we can't take any more risks. Let's let's almost churn out the stuff that we know works. Uh, I've got, you know, I'm, it's brilliant. They have brought back John Goodman. They brought back Billy Crystal. They brought back Steve Buscemi. Uh, they've added Helen Mirren to the cast list. They've got Alfred Molina on the cast list as well. Frank Oz is back. They've got Joel Murray. It's a great voice voice cast. Um, and the trailer, I, you know, the trailer I've seen, very very short trailer I've seen, looks to have a lot of fun. You know, it, it looks like it should be really good, but. I'm just slightly concerned about the direction Pixar are taking at the moment, um, and I'm worried about who's actually kind of steering the ship there. I think that's a fair point. Mm. There, there is a worrying sort of... I don't want to say it, but it, it seems like a very Disney-influenced thing where they're now doing it very much for commercial... You know, things they know that will be profitable. Because Cars 2, they know that was going to make them a lot of money, even if it's not particularly good. Exactly. Cars 2 is the... is the uh, That could well be the tipping point. That's to me, is the first, and only so far, Pixar film, where it looks like they went, this will sell us a load of cars, this will sell us a load of toys, this will sell us a load of duvets. And it worked. My, my daughter's blooming obsessed with cars. So I've spent far too much money on officially licensed cars goods. For her, so clearly it's work, but that that worries me because that that when you watch Cars two, you go no this was this is a car advert, this is a toy advert, um, and that does worry me, and I I just hope there is some semblance of quality control. You would hope that um, people like Billy Crystal and John Goodman wouldn't sign on if it wasn't if there wasn't some integrity, but you never know. I I just. Like I say, I'm dead excited to see it. I just, I just hope they haven't taken their eye off the ball, like, and that it is a brilliant sequel because they did it with the Toy Story sequels. They worked for me, so maybe this is, maybe this is more, more Toy Story two than Cars two. Yeah, and that's what I think I'm that's the hope. I mean, they do have a track record of doing good ones. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I don't want to make out like I'm, I'm worried by any sequels. No, it's, it's not. the implication of laziness and possible commercial motivations over artistic creative yeah. things because Toy Story they, they clearly had a vision for where that was going you know what I mean they, they, they created a whole arc and they, they, they had scope to develop the characters and add new characters in and although that was originally going to be a straight to video um, uh, release but but there's a, there were enough talented people at Pixar to be able to make it into a brilliant film um and I'm just hoping that there's still enough talented people so that even if there are money men in charge at the very top, there's enough talent below that to go, OK, we're being forced to make a sequel on this film. Let's make it the best damn sequel we can do. I hope that attitude is still there. Yeah. Well, what's your final film then? My final one is uh, another sequel. But again, this isn't a sequel because someone's trying to make money. This is based on source materials. So, that, you know, again, this is very much a sequel from an artistic point of view. And that is Kick-Ass 2. Uh, I loved the original Kick-Ass. I think it's a brilliant film based on the comic book by Mark Miller. Uh, I very recently at Glasgow Film Festival went to a Q&A with Mark Miller talking about Kick-Ass 2. Although it wasn't the most useful Q&A because he wasn't allowed to tell us a lot of what was going on. <laughs> um, but he gave us a bit of an update. But um, Kick-Ass 2 follows on a few years later from the events of Kick-Ass. 
Um, basically, uh, Hit Girl and Kickass, uh, Dave um, and Mindy, essentially, are at school trying to get on with their lives, but secretly they're still training. Um, they're still trying to be superheroes. And, and Dave's um, looking jacked to this film, by the way. Yeah, that's, that's that's a slight concern. You can, I hope they explain that in the sense that um, I'm hoping they explain the fact that he he looks that way simply because he's been training with Mindy. That that would be one way you could get away with that. Because um, in the first film, he is intended to be a complete amateur, obviously, uh, and then hopefully this film looks a lot bigger it looks a lot flashier but now uh, Kick-Ass and Hit-Girl uh, have teamed up with a new league of superheroes um, one of which is played by Jim Carrey who plays Colonel Stars and Stripes um, he, I think Jim Carrey's got the, the Nick, uh, Nick Cage style of role here the, the elder statesman of Hollywood who gets to come in have a lot of fun and um Mark Miller said that basically he did fulfil that role. He had no fear. He came and he tried things over and over again, had a lot to add, and he did bring that touch of Hollywood glamour and professionalism to the whole thing. Uh, and they go up against um, Christopher Mintz-Plass's uh, Chris D'Amico's. If you remember at the end of the first film, his dad uh, killed by kick-ass, and so he swears to take revenge and uh, he comes back in the first film he's the red mist and in this film he comes back as the motherfucker which is <laughs> quite possibly the best superhero or bad uh, villain name ever um, it looks again my, my, again this is another film where I've got a slight concern I'm very excited about it the trailer looks good um, but we haven't got Matthew Vaughan in charge this time. Matthew Vaughan isn't directing, he's just producing. And it's not been written by Jane Goldman this time either. Um, so it is almost an entirely different creative team being overseen by uh, Matthew Vaughan. Now, Jeff Wadlow is the uh, the guy who's directed this. And he directed um, Never Back Down previously. Um, he's not directed a lot, to be honest. Uh Never Back Down and Cry Wolf, which I've, I don't think I've even heard of. Uh, it sounds like the kind of thing Owen might have heard of. What's it called? Cry Wolf. Eight unsuspecting high school seniors at a posh boarding school who delight themselves on playing games of lies come face to face with terror and learn that nobody believes a liar, even when they're telling the truth. <laughs> it's got John Bon Jovi in it. Has it? Spiegel then. Uh, it's got Gary Cole in it. Any film with Gary Cole is worth a look. Um, but yeah, so he's not got a huge amount of um, pedigree. So there's a, I've got a couple of question marks over it. But I love the source material. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to give it a go. I think it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be good. Um, and it could be brilliant. Who knows? I think what it's got going for it is the first film was a lot better than the comic. I think the, mm-hmm. the comic took the premise of what would happen if someone decided to dress up as a superhero and then go out and fight crime. Yeah. Uh, and it kind of lost its way halfway through. The, the, but the film adaptation, it kept this momentum going, I think partly because of the performances in it were so good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Kick-Ass 2, the comic, has pretty much universally been panned by everyone who's read it. Uh, right. As just a 
violent, um, you know, one of these controversial comics that tries to do stuff in it to just to get a bit of a reputation. Right, yeah. Um, and there's not much substance to it, apparently. So, the, the only thing that it's got going for it is the, the film is better than the comic of the first one. Maybe the film will be better than the comic in the second one. But, um, yes. Yeah. Like I say, my dad, you know, I'm a big fan of Jane Goldman. I think she's a she's a really good writer, and the fact that she's not writing this is the reason I'm concerned. But but I'm 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 ever the optimist, so that's why it's on my list. Okay, well, let's get on to Jerry's list. Okay, so I mean, Kickass Two, I was extremely excited about as well. Um, and as I say, there was a couple of modifications based on what other people are doing. First one that I feel obliged to be excited about due to my previous record with his films is Pacific Rim, which is the new Guillermo del Toro film. Um, and basically, from what I can gather from the trailer, a load of aliens attack Earth, and then humans fight. From another dimension, don't forget. Oh, I, yeah. Um, and then humans fight back by constructing absolutely enormous robots. Uh, and then they have epic Transformer style versus alien thing battles. Yeah. And it's got Idris yeah. <laughs> It's got Idris Elba in and it's directed by Guillermo del Toro and it's fucking massive robots fighting massive aliens with excellent graphics. What the fuck more could you want from a film? I'm so excited about that film. This was another one that was on my list and we I, we decided to split ours, didn't we, Jerry? Yeah. But yeah, this would have been on mine. It's got Ron Perlman in. Um, of course, yeah, obviously. <laughs> Lovely thing about uh, Ron Perlman, by the way. He um, he dressed up. He, he did the full Hellboy makeup and stuff, which took like four or five hours, just because a kid had a, a Make a Wish uh, oh, desire to to meet Hellboy. So he went and he did, you know, spent hours and hours in makeup and, and went and met this kid and then spent the rest of the day with him as well as Hellboy. Oh, nice guy. Oh, bless him. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I know. I, I saw the trailer for this. Oh, oh my fucking god, yes! Um, you've got that that uh, noise in the trailer, which seems to be in every trailer at the moment. That yeah, kind of deep it, bass. It's coolest in this one. Let's be honest. Yeah, oh yeah, it's at its if best. You haven't seen in this the trailer one. for this? Go and watch it, and just yeah, don't do it in a place where because you're not going to ruin anything by watching the trailer for this. Because it is just going to be robots fighting aliens for ninety minutes, and it's going to be fucking awesome. And it's Idris Elba giving off like an awesome speech. Oh yeah, no, I'm I'm very very excited about this film, it, and I, I did. I also like the fact that Del Toro really kicked off about them making him add 3D. He was very professional about it. He said, look, okay, they've given me the money, I suppose I've got to do this. But he, he's filmed, don't bother wasting your money on 3D for this because he's filmed this to be seen not in 3D. He, he's not bothered about 3D. So there's going to be no extra effort made. It's just to fleece a bit more money. But Del Toro's not involved in that. So go and see it in 2D, how Del Toro wanted you to see it. Yeah. I, I'm... Uh, it, it, it's basically if you're a bit of a geek you're going to have a massive hard on for this film um, <laughs> the second film that I'm really excited about slightly different sort of take but still awesome is Pain and Gain which is yeah. the rock Marky Mark <laughs> I mean <laughs> even though it's a Michael Bay film yeah, but you know, Michael Bay can sometimes. You know, Bad Boys, the original Bad Boys was. Yeah, he's he's not for a long time. I think that that's the way. Armageddon. Yeah, we we 
So I think that was the last good film he made. But if you think this is this is for anyone who doesn't know, it's about um, three bodybuilders. It's based on a true story. Um, the article in the it's a Miami paper. There's a really long, lengthy article from like 1999 about the actual true case, which is fascinating. Read it. Take you hours to read, but it's it's really interesting. Um, but Michael Bay is going to film this, hopefully, in this and get the relationships in the same way he did with bad with bad boys because yeah. That first, you know, that the sort of buddy, com, not quite comic, but a bit comic, and that kind of. Uh, how how can you put Bad Boys really? Because it's, it's it's a bit of a hard to categorize film, is it? Because it's a bit action, it's a bit funny. It it it's it's a, it's an edgy buddy cop film. Yeah, yeah. But hopefully that dynamic between characters is yeah. going to be captured with Pain and Gain. You get that with The Rock anyway. I think. I think when you sign up for the, when you sign The Rock up for your film. We saw that in G.I. Joe. The scenes with him and Channing Tatum were just two guys having... They were, you just wanted to go out for a beer with them. And, and, and I, Mark Wahlberg's made... You know, he's, he's on reasonably good form. Ted aside, you know, he's been making some good yeah. films recently. And Yeah, and again, he's got a decent screen presence. I like him. I, I do like Mark Wahlberg. Um, it's also... I didn't, it's got Senor Chang from Community in it. I'm very excited. And it's got Kurt Angle. Yeah, Kurt Angle's in it. Um... Anthony Mackie's there. There's a good supporting cast to it, you know. Yeah, Ed Harris. Ed Harris, yeah, Anthony no. Mackie out of... Um, oh, he was uh, in Notorious. He played two back in Notorious, but he was oh, in... Um, Rob Codry's in it. Yeah, no, this is this is a good... This is a good... It's got a good cast. Um, how long is it? Michael Bay seems to go make films that are half an hour too long. That's that's the next thing I need. It's only been made for £25 million as well. Yeah, he seems to... I think, that's low budget for Michael Bay. I think he might be deliberately doing that to try and curb his excesses. Or the yeah. studio are deliberately doing that to curb his excesses. Because he does... You know... The recent films that he's made that have gone off the boil have been mm. massive mega-budget films. Yeah. And the ones that he... Even the ones that he's been sort of producing have been massive budgets. You know, he, he even... He, he produced Boardwalk Empire, which was a very expensive series... Mm. No, he, he he produced the fighter, which kind of brought this back. I mm. think that is where the relationship with him and Wahlberg will have come from, because that was a really personal project for Wahlberg. And you know, Wahlberg's obviously seen something in the way he worked on the fighter to mm. to suggest that he can do this story justice, because it is a fascinating original story. Yeah, um, and I think. He, he he did some stuff that, that hopefully, in the past, he's done some stuff that will hopefully mean that this is really, really good. And it's The Rock. What else do you want? I mean, fucking hell. It's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> My what's third film. Last... Go on, Steve. What's your last film? Okay. <laughs> I, it was quite hard to come to a, a sort of decision on this. Um... The Wolverine, I'm quite excited but also quite worried about because I don't think the credentials are there to make this good. Uh, Owen will probably have a view on this as well. The Wolverine? Uh, it's hard to, to tell, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> it could. the comic it's based on, I've not read, but I've read a lot about um, and they say the story's quite good. It's just how much they stick to it, um, considering the Origins film was... Just a pile of crap, basically. Yeah. Um, but the film that I want to actually talk about is, because I was denied the opportunity to talk about uh, Monsters U, 
Uh, Despicable Me Too mm-hmm. is out this summer, which is another excellent animated film. I uh, don't know if anybody else has seen the original Despicable Me. I have, yes. Yeah, yeah. Are we, are we fans of Despicable Me? I liked it. I liked it. I, it. I didn't think it was quite up with Pixar's best, but I did enjoy it. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of one of those films that sometimes they're very they're very cliched and they're very you know it's cliched in a bad way and you 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 lose interest. But I thought this had a sort of genuine charm about it, the original. You know, it, yes, there was a lot of stereotypes in there, but it, it, they did it well and they did it with feeling, and that's nice. And so hopefully, I mean, this has got Al Pacino added in as well to the voice cast. Yeah. Um, really strong voice cast, similar to the first one. There's, there's a great cast in there, and the characters are quite strong. You've got that developed previously. Um, uh, Steve Carell's character grew. You know, it, it, there's enough personality already established there that they don't need to do too much on that front, and they can make a lot of personality jokes. Um, mm. It should be a good, solid summer family film. I'm not going to say it's going to be fantastic and great, but you know. As summer family films go, it's probably yeah. going to be pretty good. Excellent. Right. Um, would need a f- box office flop then for the summer from everyone, starting with Owen. Uh, I'm going to go for World War Z. Yeah, I'm uh, going to agree with you. It's going to be absolutely terrible. And it's a shame because the book is fantastic, but they've really... Although Owen hates the book. I hate the book. Fight, 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 fight. I think the book is a nice concept. I read uh, The Zombie Survival Guide first, and I mm, quite yeah. like that. It's a very tongue-in-cheek, straight mm. book about <laughs> how to survive a zombie apocalypse. I mean, it's literally like a manual, which is brilliant. I, I quite enjoyed I that. Need, I don't need a manual. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but the... the book itself i really had a problem with the writing i couldn't stand it i love the concept of just being about you know these loads of interviews with different people uh, after the event but uh, i just it really did my head in i was reading it on a book one day and i looked out the window and i thought i could just lob this book out the window right now and i wouldn't i wouldn't regret spending the money on it it really wound me up i like the book but i do think it was better i think it's better suited to a mini series. I'd love to have seen it done in, a, you know, like the old World at War, which had Laurence Olivier. It would have been, I, if, it would have been best, if they'd done, it would have been best done like World of War or like Band of Brothers. Yeah, with the with the bits at the beginning of Band of Brothers where they're talking to the veterans. See, I'd I'd, I'd want it not. I I I want it. I don't want any. Um, I, I'd like I'd like it to have done purely fake documentary. I'd I'd love to have seen that. That would have been quite that, good. That would have been. Or something yeah, I would have someone like Liam Neeson narrating it, you know, and like <laughs> yeah, that would be fucking yeah. cool. I would have um, thought something like Generation Kill would have suited it. Did you watch Gen- Generation Kill? No, I didn't actually. That was kind of just like a journalist who's there with the soldiers, so it's okay, not quite yeah. a documentary, but it's it is a drama series. But yeah, something like that I thought would have suited it. But um, if they'd have improved the script a little bit. Yeah. Uh, James, what's your flop for the summer? Controversially, um, I'm going for one of the ones that we said we weren't going to put in. Um, I'm, I'm just saying this because I've got, I've got, I'm starting to have severe doubts about it, and that is Man of Steel. I've, got, I've got a horrible feeling it's going to let us all down horribly. Whoa! Whoa! whoa. <laughs> I know. 
Um, I think the thing is it can't because it then fucks up everything that the studio wants to do with the Justice League. Yep. It did, um, if it bombs, it absolutely messed up. I, 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 I don't think it'll bomb. I, did, I think it'll make. I think it'll make more than enough money because um, we've got to a stage where certain blockbusters will make a certain amount of money regardless. If people don't like it, so they lose faith in the Superman. Yeah, character. I think because if I think that's the sense of people not liking it. If that Superman film they done with Brandon Wast name was a success, then this Man of Steel now could have been a Justice League film. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I've I've got a horrible feeling we're looking at. Superman three levels. No, it won't be that bad. I ju- I just don't think it's going to be great. I think <laughs> I, I've got I've got bad feel. I d- I don't think the look suit. I think Zack Snyder has done thing has a great talent for certain types of f- filmmaking, and the films of his that I've liked have had a certain look and a certain feel and a certain hyper reality. And I just think trying to get him to make a Christopher Nolan film could be average results. I, you know, it depends. I, I could be if wrong. You get the best of both of them out of it. You know, if it's if it's sort of the yeah. stylisticness with with. I, and I'd love to be wrong as well because I genuinely want it to be good. Um, but I've I've got horrible. I've just got this nagging feeling that it's it it's it's just going to let us down. That's all. That's, so that's my that's my prediction. And Jerry. Um, I'm going to say, well, what I hope is not going to do well at the box office as well is Great Gatsby. Because <laughs> that is one of my favourite books ever. And I've seen the trailers. And what the actual fuck is Baz Luhrmann doing anywhere near that film? What? Oh, f- ah. I mean, there's a good cast, don't get me wrong. Leonardo DiCaprio, good. Not that good. Yeah. Serious drama. That's probably his worst one. Um, Kerry Mulligan. I think she's quite one-dimensional. I can see why she's being picked for this, but she's not Daisy. Joel Edgerton, good actor. Tobey Maguire, twat. Uh, and Baz Luhrmann, just a fucking useless prick who somehow seems to still get work. Uh, I can't stand Baz Luhrmann. He's terrible. I like some of his films. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest here. I think uh, Strictly Ballroom is a great uh, independent film. And I liked Romeo and Juliet. Uh, I, I liked... Uh, um, Moulin Rouge I'm, I'm holding my hands but at the same time I think this looks like it could be terrible if you see so the trailer I will agree with you there it's got like fucking modern music over it and all sorts and it looks horrible and I, I mean oh. I, I, and the fact that it's in 3D just seems uh, <laughs> I don't great understand that yeah. in 3D and it seems to be just so they can do the, th- the scene where he throws the books I mean yeah, it just seems yeah. to be the whole point of it but what the trailer? What the trailer portrayed? And obviously, I'm going off a very limited thing. But the trailer portrayed, and what I think Lerman does is he's a very superficial director. Yeah, he's very much about oh yes. Yeah. And I think if they miss the point entirely of the Great Gatsby and make this about looking cool and having visuals, this will be one of the worst films ever made because that's not the point of the book. So mm. there is all this superficiality. And it's all the sort of tainted poison underneath it. And that's what makes it brilliant. And the look of the trailer is, oh, that's, oh, Mad Men's cool. Let's do something like old school like Mad Men and make it look really cool. And forget about the substance. Oh, fuck. I fuck Baz Luhrmann. And why has he been any, allowed anywhere near this book? Just awful. He shouldn't even be allowed to read it. That's how good that book is and how much wine paper. 
he should have just he should have gone if he went into a shop no sorry Baz no I don't want your mind being polluted by good stuff you can just stay away prick okay well we've been going on for far too long now god yeah the best draw list edition to a close next week we'll be reviewing Oblivion starring Tom Cruise and Morgan Freeman yeah Tom Cruise baby Tom Cruise (laughs) as well in some kind of post-apocalyptic space-time-earth stuff going on. Fuck yeah, it's going yeah. good. Thanks, Excited. Thanks for listening. Thanks for anyone who's contributed, including Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. <laughs>